the February 1st, 2024 meeting of the Planning Commission and Board of Zoning Adjustments is called to order. Would everyone please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance? Secretary, please conduct the roll call. Yes, Chair Zuber. Present. Vice Chair Tejada. Present. Commissioner Bolt. Here. Commissioner Mendoza. Present. Commissioner Rich. Present. Commissioner Solis. Present. And Commissioner Tabjulu. Present. Thank you. The public is invited to make any comments related to the agenda items that are not listed under public hearings or other items of interest at this time. If you wish to speak during public comments, please fill out a speaker card and hand it to the administrative assistant, Lucy, and speakers will be invited to speak. Public comments are limited to three minutes per person. If you wish to comment on an item listed under the public hearings portion of the agenda, you'll have an opportunity to do so when the item is heard, please fill out the speaker card and hand it to the administrative assistant. We're now taking public comments. This is the time when any person may address the board on matters not listed on this agenda. Well, no. Okay. The draft minutes for the meeting of January 1st, or January 4th, 2024 were provided with your agenda if there are no errors, additions, or corrections, it should be moved that they be approved as submitted. Do I have a motion to approve the minutes? Motion to approve. Second. It has been moved by Commissioner Solis and seconded by Commissioner... It's fine. Sorry. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Bolt and Solis that the minutes of January 4th, uh, 2024 be approved. Please vote on your screens. <clears throat> the motion passes six yeas, zero nays, and one abstention. Ms. Secretary, are there any items of correspondence? There are not. Any oral communications? Thank you. Tonight's public hearing has two agenda items for consideration by the Board of Zoning Adjustments. If you wish to speak before the Board of Zoning Adjustments, please submit a speaker card and state your name and address for the record. Meetings of the Planning Commission and Board of Zoning Adjustments are recorded and televised, so please speak clearly for the record. The first hearing item is Agenda 6.A, PLN 22-0033, consideration of a conditional use permit for the continued operation of a bar with the addition of entertainment events as an accessory use and new outdoor patio at 1680 Washington Avenue. May we have the staff report? You'll give me one second. We'll set up the presentation. No problem. Good evening, board members. My name is Lourdes Juarez, and I will be presenting the project for a conditional use permit 
at 1680 Washington Avenue. The applicant is James Murray and the property owner is Jafar Zadeh Mehran and Nuri Jenner LLC. This is a conditional use permit for the continued operation of an existing bar with the addition of entertainment events as an accessory use and a new outdoor patio. The project is near the north corner of Thornton Street and Washington Avenue in downtown San Leandro. It is inside the DA1 zoning district, which corresponds to the retail mixed use land use of the downtown TOD strategy, as well as the downtown mixed use land use designation of the general plan. The site contains a two-story building with the bar on the ground floor and residential above. The existing bar is Danny Murray's Irish Pub, which is owned by the applicant, James Murray. Here is the zoning map, which shows the property in green, again near the, Thor near the corner of Thornton Street and Washington Avenue. The blue lines are the zoning district boundaries. This is the proposed site plan. As you can see, the existing bar is in yellow and the proposed 900 square foot patio structure is in green behind the bar. The patio structure is effectively a trellis with a five foot tall fence. Behind the patio structure would be a proposed refuse storage shed as shown here on, in green. Danny Murray's Irish Pub was allowed to have an outdoor patio as part of the temporary outdoor facilities program during the pandemic. Part of the proposal before you is to continue the outdoor dining operations of that program inside this new patio structure. The other part of the proposal is to add accessory entertainment events which would be conducted both inside the building and within the new patio structure. Because the property is within one half mile of BART, no parking is required, but the applicant will retain 13 parking spaces. This is a proposed floor plan. The layout is fairly typical with outdoor seating, infrared heating, and exterior lighting, including commercial string lights and wall-mounted lights, which would be installed inside of the five-foot fence. The patio would be accessible from the rear door of the building, and it would have two pedestrian gates. Entertainment events are defined in the zoning code and include televised events and musical and comedy acts, which the applicant is proposing to provide as part of the bar offerings. The entertainment events would be an accessory use. The applicant has provided a statement, which is in the staff report, in which details the proposed programming and provides more history on Danny Murray's Irish Pub. These are the elevations for the proposed, oh, I apologize. You want me? There we go. These are the elevations for the proposed patio structure. The patio structure, the refuse storage shed, and the overall project would comply with the development regulations of the zoning code, including setbacks, height, parking and loading, landscaping, and lighting. The design of the patio structure would also be generally consistent with the downtown design guidelines and principles, which encourage the use of high quality materials, pedestrian scale entries, and sensitive placement of parking and service areas. This is a map of the surrounding uses. As you can see, 
The site is generally adjacent to major commercial uses, including the Parrot Center to the north, Bob's Auto Tech to the west. However, south and east of the property along Thornton Street, there are several nearby residential and mixed-use properties, which are primarily dwelling units. These are located in the DA2 and DA3 zoning districts. In collaboration with the police department, staff has crafted recommended conditions of approval that would allow the bar to expand its outdoor use inside the patio structure and to provide entertainment events within both places without creating detrimental effects to nearby commercial and residential uses. The maximum occupancy would be 49 people inside the building and 49 people inside the patio structure. Hours of operation are on the slide, but to summarize, Sundays and Mondays, the bar would close at 11 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, the bar would close at midnight, and on Fridays, it would close at 1 a.m. The patio would be required to end all operations at 10 p.m. regardless of these hours. Entertainment events would be limited to two such events per week. As a standard, the bar would be required to comply with the noise and smoking pollution control requirements of the municipal code. Finally, the bar would also be uh, required to provide two state certified security officers on Friday and Saturday nights from one, sorry, from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. and also during any entertainment events and any time that separate admission is charged. The bar would also be required to meet the regulations of the State Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control and the police department is involved in that process, including adding any restrictions in the future should problems arise. With the recommended conditions of approval, the project would be able to make the findings. The project would effectively be in accord with the objectives of the zoning code. It would be consistent with the general plan and not detrimental to the welfare of the city. It would comply with the provisions of the zoning code and it will not create adverse impacts. The project is categorically exempt as an existing facility. Oh, excuse me, categorically exempt from CEQA as an existing facility. And the project would also be compatible and consistent with the general plan goals, policies, and actions for the downtown mixed use land use designation. Staff recommends that the Board of Zoning Adjustments adopt a resolution approving the conditional use permit for the continued operation of a bar with the addition of entertainment events as an accessory use, which may include televised sports and comedy slash musical acts, and a new outdoor patio at 1680 Washington Avenue, ELN 23-0033, based on the recommended findings of fact and subject to the recommended conditions of approval. This concludes my presentation. Staff is available to answer any questions. Thank you. I apologize. We do have a materials board and I will now turn it around. If you'd like, we can pass it around. Uh, yes, thank you for that report. Very, very helpful. Um, 
First, I'd, I'd like to ask who the architect is for the, the project. Because I think I have a disclosure. Hello. Yes. Yes, Kodama Architects. Yep, so I don't believe I have a conflict, but in the spirit of full disclosure, I'd, I'd like to know that I'd like to share that I have worked with them as a, as a, as a city staff person on projects that they did in San Francisco approximately 20 years ago. Worked on with them on a couple of projects. With that, I'm going to continue going on. Um, I note that there is a condition for maxim, maximum occupancy of 49 persons inside and an additional 49 people outside. When I look at the plans on sheet A2.1, I see seating for 64 people. I am wondering if we have a policy or if we require the seating to uh, relate to the plans. The seating to relate to the occupancy, I'm sorry. Yes, uh, these are generally diagrammatical, uh, but the, pro the project would be required to obtain building permits. And at that time, we may require that they remove certain chairs and tables to bring it down. Um, additionally, the project is required to uh, put up signs uh, with that maximum occupancy. And those occupancies are in line with their current uh, building group occupancy, which is also under 49 people in each space. Okay. Um, I'm always happy to see bicycle parking at a project. I see that there is a space uh, called for on this project. I don't see that space on the plans. So I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to uh, use that space at times. And I uh, hope that the sponsor finds the, the elects to provide more, more parking down there. And I have a request for staff, and this may be uh, maybe pushing too far, but we have uh, we need to make uh, findings about a CEQA exemption. And when I go online searching for CEQA, sometimes I have a hard time finding the policy number. And it would be fantastic if we could get a link to the CEQA specific CEQA exemptions in future staff reports. Thank you. Certainly, thank you. I will follow up for clarifications. Thank you. Commissioner Bolt. Thank you. Yes. Uh, first question is about uh, timeline. Maybe I'm off, but don't we normally give longer than 13 days when we give a notice to the public? Because here it says we sent out a notice on January 19, 2024. Is that, a, is that standard? Yes. The required uh, time period is 10 days. Oh, 10. Okay. The right. um, magic formula is to mail it out on two Fridays before. Okay. 13 days. Okay, thank you. And then lastly, um, is this exempt from fire protection because of certain reasons? Because I didn't see any of that in the... Right. Uh, the project was reviewed by Building and Fire, and they did determine that um, the current use, if it's limited to 49 persons per space, it's under a separate occupancy group um, than those that require that are now in assembly use. And so from what I understand, um, all the requirements are under the building conditions. And as I mentioned before, when the building permit is submitted, then they will um, assess during the plan check and also inspect the site. Okay, so it could be added. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, 
So in the new patio that's going to come up, would the the entertainment options or the would there be any TVs for the streaming the sporting events or would there be any live music in the patio? Yes. Uh, TVs are generally allowed in bars. Um, what makes them a specific category uh, in the zoning code is to advertise. There's several factors. Advertise as standalone events, turning on the audio, and so on and so forth. Um, but generally, bars can have TVs, and they are planning on having some inside the patio. And the music events, um, they're all as part of uh, entertainment events. They would occur inside the building and also outside in the patio structure. So right now, uh, in the patio, it's just allowed seating. Like I know, I read like after COVID, like it was allowed. So it's just like an outdoor seating area right now, right? Uh, yes, but I believe uh, I'll I'll let the applicant answer what their operations have been in the last couple of years. Um, but they were part of the program. I want to say that ceased maybe the program ended possibly a year ago. But we could clarify if you need that. I can find out if you give me a moment. Thank you. Commissioner Tanhara. Uh, yes, thank you. Great presentation. Um, just a couple of questions, more clarification than anything else. Uh, I noticed in one of the slides there was a there was a profile view of lower level and upper level. Uh, I'm assuming the upper level for the property is also owned by the applicant itself, the residents on the upper level. I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? <laughs> no worries. I, I saw you were uh, you were fielding other questions there. Um, yeah, so the profile view that was pulled up on screen, it showed a lower level and an upper level kind of attachment to the structure itself. Is it safe to say that the applicant owns both the lower and upper level? Uh, the applicant is the bar owner, so they own the business but the property is owned by the LLC. And, uh, they, I'm not sure who lives in the portion above um, as this was an existing uh, set of uses. We were only analyzing for the bar use. And in full disclosure, I believe the owner also owns the property at the corner. Okay. So the residence above is occupied at the moment? I, I, I think I could let the, the applicant answer that. Okay, I'll table that. I'll table that. And, and um, you have an answer. Oh, sorry. I'll let you finish. And uh, a couple of other clarifications. The um, the addition of the storage shed. Just wondering, is that uh, specifically a shed for miscellaneous equipment in support of the uh, bar operations, or is that potentially going to be doubling as more of like a trash enclosure as well? Or is there a separate um, allocation for trash enclosure that's provided through other means? This would be for trash enclosure, oh, yes. typically for these patio operations, especially when they have an enclosed area. The chairs remain there overnight and locked up and tied up and whatnot. Um, but I can also let the applicant answer whether or not they'd like to okay. expand the use. Yeah, I was a little thrown off just looking at the uh, the plans here, and there's a diagrammatical caption of an actual storage shed that you would see in a backyard. Yes. To me, I just got the impression that it was more fixed or, or movable equipment that's housed in the shed versus it being a trash enclosure. Yes, I apologize. I believe the renderings are a lot more um, uh, just for visual, but not the precise drawing. And it has changed. It has grown over the uh, review of the project, um, which was in response to um, the different bins that they would have to store in there. 
but it would be, uh, you know, it would have to undergo the building permit process to make sure that it is a permanent fixture. Uh, refuse screening is required in the downtown area, and so that that would be what it, the requirement would be to meet that refuse screening requirement. Okay, perfect. And then apologies that I don't know this, but you had mentioned that the municipal code would be in effect for smoking regulations uh, in a patio type of setting. Can you can you share with me what the municipal code is? If someone is out there on the patio, um, what are the rules of engagement if they wanted to smoke? Is that allowed? Is it not allowed? Generally speaking, no. Uh, so uh, generally speaking, to summarize what's in the muni code there and, and that affects this project, uh, Enclosed spaces include the inside of the building and also that outdoor patio because it does contain somewhat of a roof and somewhat of a fence. So it's considered an enclosed space. You cannot smoke inside of it. Okay. You also cannot smoke, and this is the last part of that, uh, you cannot smoke uh, within 20 feet of any operable windows or doors, which includes most of the property itself in, in, within the parking lot. Okay, perfect. Good to know. Thank you for that. That's it for me. And I do have an answer for um, Commissioner Rich. Uh, so yes, so I'm so sorry, I forgot who asked this question. Thank you. Uh, so the COVID temporary outdoor storage, uh, temporary outdoor dining facility program, it ended in April 2022. But there, the if the businesses that were part of the program who wanted to continue those uses through processes such as this one, they were allowed to continue the use. And so I, I will leave it up to, up to the applicant to explain what they have been doing if they continue to use after April 2022. Mr. Solis. Yeah, I have a question regarding the noise. Now, I, I'm unfamiliar with this location, but has there been uh, prior, have there been prior musical acts there playing inside? Do we know? And that I'm aware, but maybe the applicant can answer that. And I'm assuming that uh, if there were public comments made, we would have seen them already. Right. We did not receive any public comments. Okay. So I'm just looking at uh, number 14. Number 14 on page six, talking about the noise. I'm just looking at like mitigative measures to um, keep, keep down on the, I guess, this disturbance or the noise. So am I correct in assuming that it's just going to end at 10 and that's the, if there's music or an outdoor event, the sound is going to get turned off at 10 o'clock mitigate any complaints yes uh there are a few other measures um trash emptying during certain hours mm. give me one second please Yes, so essentially, in terms of mitigation measures, um, they wouldn't really uh, apply to a project as small as this uh, in this area too much. Um, it's not 
a project that we anticipate would have significant impacts according to CEQA. Um, and, and when we adopted the general plan and the downtown TOD strategy, uh, environmental impacts were assessed for mixing of the commercial uses with the residential. And so it um, it is anticipated that as part of that analysis, um, they did say that the best way to do that, uh, to, to mitigate any such impacts would be to have uh, certain hours of operation for certain uses. And so uh, even though the hours are 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. and they align with the noise ordinance, it also makes sense that even if the entertainment events continue and the bars open later, that the entertainment events actually would cease at that time so as to avoid any potential conflicts. Okay. Thank you. Just um, two questions. So regarding um, the, at 10 o'clock, there are no operations outside on the patio. By operations, does that mean there are no patrons outside on the patio after 10 o'clock? Yes, no dining, no drinking, no entertainment events. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go back to something that Commissioner Rich mentioned. Um, and I understand, you know, how we calculate the number of occupants per space is usually based on the square footage. And in disregarding the number of seats, this amount of square feet will put you over 49 occupants. Is that how it's being calculated? It's I see it's an accessory, but it's 900 square feet. Great. Uh, we do have a letter from the building official detailing the special circumstances of this one. However, the occupancy that we've set on this is a land use condition of approval uh, to align with that. Um, but as you know, the, the codes for building and fire are quite complex, and at times they could uh, decide to add certain hardware that it would increase their occupancy. But the land use, the conditional use permit would continue to limit them to that many people, no matter how much hardware they add know, push exits or fire um, sprinklers, they'd still be limited to that number. Right. I could add, so um, when we're doing our analysis for compatibility with surrounding uses and the findings that are required per the, the zoning code, if our recommendation is going to include a cap on the number of patrons in order to make the findings that are required for a use permit, it doesn't make sense if we're going to propose a limit of 49 people per space from a land use standpoint for then the building department to then require um, improvements to the space that are planned for many more occupants. So we work together as a department to kind of figure out the right appropriate scale for a proposed use that we would want to recommend. For example, if the if the Board of Zoning Adjustments thought the 49 limit seemed low and you said, let's let 200 people be inside the building, then of course that would trigger necessary uh, fire and building upgrades. But we think the 49 in each space is a good balance from a compatibility standpoint. And it just so then also means that we can have them post that, it can be enforceable, and then it's not gonna trigger an assembly use in terms of the improvements that would be required by building and fire, if that makes sense. Right. Great, thank you. Does the applicant um, have any comments? 
Hey everybody, how y'all doing? Uh, my name is Jim Murray. Um, I guess I am the applicant. And you guys had some questions. Uh, just a little background about me. Um, I used to work at the Englander. I'm sure um, some of you guys may have been there before. Sports pub, it was there 25 years. I was the bar manager for a little while. Um, so I took over the pub there. It, it's been a number of things. Um, I think it goes back to like the 70s. But um, yeah, we're Danny Murray's Irish Pub. We've been there about 18 months now. And when I took the place over, it had the outdoor COVID patio. And I was aware that the city of San Leandro had the ability to keep the patio going. And they actually had the grant program, which we applied for. And we're trying to keep the patio, patio going. Um, so yeah, a little background uh, about me. I worked at the Englander for about 20 years. Um, it's It's pretty crazy to think that it was two decades, but, um, yeah, I went through all the sausage and suds things, the, uh, the world cup. Um, I've been part of the community for a long time and I'm super happy to actually have this pub. That's like a stone's throw from where the Englander was. And, uh, we love bicycle people. We love beer. We love, uh, Irish whiskey. We love music. Um, I played in a local band called stereo Freakout for over a decade. Uh, we played at sausage and suds a couple of years. Um, we used to play at the Englander all the time. We actually wrote a song called The Englander, which uh, there's a little plug here, but you guys can go on YouTube and type in Stereo Freakout and The Englander, and it'll pop up this video that we filmed there. So, um, yeah, I love The Englander. I love playing music. And when I took over, uh, it used to be Tipsy Lounge, so now it's Danny Murray's Irish Pub. It used to be the Long Branch way back in the day where they had, like, line dancing and country music. Uh, we still have the little horseshoes in there, which is pretty cool on the railing, just like a little throwback to um to the uh the old country bar but um when i first took it over i was like this will be a great place for live music and unfortunately one of the stipulations with abc was that we couldn't have live music um so part of the hearing here is i wanted to try to get live music in there englander had live music for a long time and uh, the community doesn't really have a, a live music venue so um in regards to the patio it's not something we would want to do live music like every night. I mean, we have residential around there and it's only 900 square feet. So the goal is not to have like blaring music outside thinking, you know, once or twice a month, do like a jazz quartet or like some blues or some rock, some jazz, um, something mellow outside. Mostly the music would be inside. And as you guys have already heard, there's been no noise complaints. We've been there almost two years. So, um, we haven't done any live music yet inside. We do, um, we have like a DJ night. We've had some karaoke, but uh, we keep the doors closed and there's been no complaints. Like um, we make sure that the music is, is not heard outside. We keep the doors closed when the music is on. We have security. Um, we have a really good rapport with the community. Um, uh, one of the questions was, is there residential upstairs um, from, uh, the bar, there's no, there's no residential. Um, that's a, that's an office that I occupy. So, uh, we don't have to worry about anyone complaining that the bar downstairs is, is too loud. That's, that, that's me. Um, so, um, yeah, the main thing is the patio, but we want to get the live music going. Live music would be inside. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've actually gone around to the community and collected signatures from a bunch of people. And, uh, there's been, uh, a big outpouring of support to have live music, to have entertainment, to have comedy, to have 
a place for people to come down and, and be a part of the community, especially since the Englander is gone now. Like the Englander was just this incredible place that uh, brought tons of community together, tons of cool people, tons of cool staff. And I'm lucky enough to bring some of that staff over to Danny Murray's and uh, some of the patrons, um, some of the regulars. It's a, it's a really cool place that we have going on. And then the Washington Club closed. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that spot, but uh, we brought a couple of their bartenders in. Um, some of their uh, regulars have been in there. So we're just trying to be like a cool little focal point for the community. So um, if there's any specific questions like the residential above, yeah, there is no residential. Bicycle parking, definitely. We will have a couple of TVs outside um, if possible. So uh, the proposed thing is having um, the covering. So we'll have like two TVs up against the building so people can watch sports outside if they want. Um, what else was there? Um, as of right now, we do have the outdoor area, but like we don't have a, um, a covering. So like during the rain, nobody's outside. And on the week, weeknights and the weekends, people have been outside past 10, but we haven't had any sort of complaints. So the 10 o'clock thing is kind of like a, um, a judgment call on like how loud we are with the neighbors. And like I said, we haven't had any complaints, but we're, we're usually keeping it to about 10 o'clock. These are just kind of like some parameters that we're putting on to make sure that we are good with the community. Uh, let's see. There's no smoking on the patio. We, we don't let people smoke out there right now. So obviously we wouldn't let people smoke when, when it's enclosed. Uh, the trash thing. Um, so right now we have a little tiny shed in, in the back, which we're going to remove. And we want to move the shed to the back where you guys saw in the diagrams. So we will have trash in there. Um, it'll be recycling, green waste, and trash. Since we're a, a super tiny bar and we have a small kitchen that has no grease-based cooking, then we're open seven days a week and we can fit everything in one of those like 96-gallon containers. So we don't have those big resident or uh, restaurant bins that we throw everything in. We don't have any like grease, grease containers or something that we have to throw in there. So that uh, shed would would have uh, trash recycling and green waste in it, as well as storage. Because, uh, yeah, we're a tiny place and we need storage. Um, what else we got? So, yeah, no noise complaints. Um, yeah, um, outdoor place to hang. Yeah, so um, hopefully I've addressed most of the things. Were there any other specific questions that I didn't answer? Mr. Tejada. Yeah, thanks for that explanation. Sure. Definitely cleared up a lot. Uh, sounds like a cool place. I might have to check it out one of these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're open until 12. Okay. Um, regarding the residential, so you've clarified that it's not really residential. It's more of an office space for yourself. So that's an upstairs office space. Yeah. Perfect. Clear on that. Um, the trash area. There is an existing shed, at yeah. least what the what the plot plan shows. There's an existing shed. Is the intent to repurpose that shed in its current location, um, or are you going with more of a new shed altogether? Uh, and it's gonna sounds like from your description, it's gonna be more of a, an enclosed, lockable trash enclosure, um, yeah. but not of like the tough shed variety that's shown on the plans right now that you can pick up in your backyard and 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 basically install. No, it'll be something we'll build. Okay. Um, I mean, if there's like a cheaper option with a really cool tough shed that we wouldn't be able to use, then awesome. 
But um, right now, when you leave the uh, the back of the patio, we have a tiny shed that's like eight by eight. And that has like our hot water heater that has our trash, a little bit of storage. So we're going to take that out because that's occupying real estate there where patrons can be. And then we're going to put that that shed area in the back where the parking lot is. So. All right. No, sounds good. Thank you for clarification. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Um, any other questions? Does it sound like it? All right. Um, thank you. Awesome. Thank you all. Uh, once again, Danny Murray's Irish pub. We're up until 12 o'clock tonight. So, uh, you guys know where to go after this, if you like. Is there anyone from the public who wishes to speak on the item? Our first speaker, uh, Chris Newey. Hi, my name is Chris Newey. Um, I'm a former resident of San Leandro. Uh, me and my wife just moved to San Lorenzo, but we still spend a majority of our time here in San Leandro. Um, we moved to San Leandro approximately 13 years ago from Hayward and quickly fell in love with this community. Um, you know, we fell in love with uh, events that were going on, local fundraisers at the school, uh, the Cherry Festival, the Sausage and Suds Festival. Um, just the, the community events were just way better than what we had in Hayward, in our opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, ever since COVID, um, the, the local live music scene just really isn't what it used to be. Uh, Pre-COVID, there, there was um, a lot of great events you could go to right here locally. Um, over at Drake's, they'd have bands every once in a while. Uh, the Sausage and Suds Festival, just, you know, there, there was chances to experience live, live music here in San Leandro which was a really benefit to the community um, and is, is kind of lacking right now. Um, when Jim took over management of the location, uh, Danny Murray's uh, Irish pub quickly became um, a spot that me and my San Leandro friends would, you know, meet up uh, at at a regular basis to watch sports games, hang out and talk, socialize. Um, and it's just been really a great, spot to have a local meetup spot um yeah um this location would greatly improve by uh approving the changes presented um the outdoor area definitely used some improvements and you know i'm sure if it's uh, uh approved on a more permanent basis you know it will provide that and then uh adding the uh, option for the live music events, um, you know, uh, having comedy nights, anything like that, just gives uh, another another place for the community to have entertainment, um, which which is needed. Um, so thank you. Okay, I, I see no other speaker cards, so. I will now close a public hearing and bring the item back to discussion by the board. Do I hear a motion to adopt a resolution? 
I make a motion to adopt to approve this conditional use permit. Second. Okay. It has been moved. Sorry. It has been moved by Commissioner Bolt and seconded by Commissioner Mendoza to adopt a resolution approving a conditional use permit for the continued operation of a legal non-conforming bar with the addition of entertainment events as an accessory use, which may include televised sports and comedy music acts, and a new outdoor patio at 1680 Washington Avenue, and determining that the project is categorically exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act pursuant to CEQA guidelines section 15301. Please cast your vote. The motion passes unanimously. <laughs> the second hearing item is Agenda 6B ELN 22-0030, consideration of administrative site plan review, conditional use permit and administrative exceptions to height to allow the construction and operation of a new 48 foot tall, approximately 79,840 square foot warehouse distribution facility on a 3.6 acre lot located at 1700 Doolittle Drive. May we please have the staff report? Yes, good evening, Madam Chairman and Commissioners. Trying to get this thing to start. Here we are from the beginning. Okay, here we are. Wonderful. Thank you for introducing the project. Cover sheet just reiterates that, and I would note that this item was continued from the May 4th, 2023 Planning Commission to the Board of Zoning Adjustment Meeting. I'm going to be Planning Commission soon, and I'm getting in Planning Commission mind. Okay. So the project location, excuse me, is near the intersection of Doolittle and William Street. The property address is 1700 Doolittle Drive. The lot size is 3.6 acres. General plan designation is Industrial General Industrial Limited. The zoning is Industrial General, and the current use is an unused parking lot. The entitlements requested here are administrative site plan review. Conditional use permit for warehouse storage facilities and warehouse wholesale retail, uh, sorry, retail distribution, and an administrative exception for height. The zoning um, allows 35 feet with an exception, it can go to 50. So this would be a 48 foot above grade building, um, just short of the 50 feet that are allowed. The project would be a speculative warehouse. There is currently no tenant identified. The total square footage is about uh, 79,800 square feet with about a 12,000 square foot office and about a 67,500 square foot warehouse. The office is actually on a mezzanine. So the, the 67,400 thereabouts actually describes the footprint of the building. Once again, it's 48 feet in height. There'd be 15 truck bays, uh, 86 passenger vehicle parking spaces, and 10 bicycle parking spaces, five short-term and five long-term. Okay. 
So this is the site plan. And as we work around the, uh, as we work from, that uh, doesn't show the uh, cursor, unfortunately. Um, as we work from the upper left here and in clockwise around, sorry, counterclockwise around the property, you see a fire access point on the north east northwestern uh, corner of the building. There's some landscaping across the frontage. Bicycle parking is near the, the building entrance. See so landscape and bioretention basins around parking areas primarily. Trash enclosure towards the, um, the eastern side of the property. The loading docks there on the south face of the building, but screened from the street. And then a second fire access point, zoom tight, uh, on the east side of the building. So, landscape plan does exceed the requirement, which is 5%. This would be a 13%. 13% uh, of the property would be landscaped. There are trees, 14 trees along the frontages, 19 in the parking lot, although there are only 15 required. Um, and various shrubs and ground cover would make up the, the remainder of, of the landscaping. There are bioretention swales to uh, deal with... Um, Stormwater drainage. Those are getting to be pretty standard these days. Um, here's the elevations. These are, of course, um, just a not the not the fancy smashy uh, image of it, but but the drawings. Um, not a full not a full mock up. Um, but these give you from the top the north elevation. There's an adjoining uh, industrial building to the north, so this would be not very visible. And the west elevation, this is the Doolittle Drive side. That's the next one down. And so you'll see, you know, the the um, gray and white concrete with blue glass, blue tinted glass. The south elevation uh, would face Williams, but that would be um, largely screened from view by the um, the Hummus Heaven building on the corner, and then the fire station, um, the fire station immediately on the other side of the that little keyhole parking bit. And then the east elevation, of course, also faces um, not a street, but other buildings. This would be a tilt-up concrete building. And um, it would be painted in various shades, at least as, as currently proposed, various shades of gray and white. The detailing is fairly consistent around the building, except for those areas that are, are not particularly visible from public view. So this particular project meets all of the uh, zoning standards with the sole exception of the height and for this we have a, a height exception it would in fact then meet all the standards for that because of course the height exception allows you to 50 feet this is a maximum 48. the project is consistent with um, a number of general plan goals and policies um, i just thought i'd highlight a few here that i thought were kind of most important so, Currently, this is a, if you haven't been there, it's a not, not very nice looking parking lot. Um, the parking lot doesn't really add much to the city. Uh, this building is, in that area, one of a, it's a trend of new buildings. And so there's some older buildings and some new buildings mixed in. But this would take a, an old unused lot and make something very nice there. Um, it'd be a big improvement. So it'd help provide a sense of place and give the city a, um, a more positive image. Um, there would be you know, good design, landscaping, street improvements that would all go along with this. So the property would in fact be buffered 
to promote compatibility between it and other uses. There's mostly um, industrial around it, but just to the southwest, um, slightly behind some commercial um, properties, there's some residential. And so the the building is is actually buffered a little bit between the use of landscaping and also the Hummus Heaven buildings. So that wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't really be visible. There wouldn't be sort of a direct line of sight for most of it, perhaps the upper parts of the building. Because those, of course, are taller than the Hummus Heaven uh, building. Oh, I'm sorry. Last bit. Um, the industrial sanctuary. This is, you know, this is an industrial town. We have a lot of industrial um, development here. And it's a very important component of, of the local economy. We do have a land use policy that says we need to protect that industrial property. And this, this does, in fact, protect uh, industrial property from encroachment by further, um, by further developing with industrial construction. All righty. This project has applied for uh, an infill exemption. Anyway, staff feels that it qualifies for an infill exemption. This is a class 32, 15332 um, in the CEQA guidelines, California Code of Regulations. Um, there are a number of things that are here in the bullets that are required. You must meet them all in order to qualify for the infill exemption. The first one is the project must be consistent with the general plan policies and the zoning regulations. And as I've indicated, it is consistent with all of those things. Um, inside, it has to reside inside San Leandro, which of course it does, and it has to be on a site of less than five acres. This is a 3.6 acre site, check and check. The site can have no habitat value for rare, threatened, and endangered species. It's a parking lot. It'd be nice if rare, threatened, and endangered species would utilize parking lots because they probably wouldn't be as rare, threatened, and endangered. As it is, we're probably going to see mostly pigeons. <laughs> No, definitely not rare or threatened. Um, it has to have no significant effects relating to traffic noise, air quality, and water quality. There are a number of studies that have, and there are included as attachments to your report, that have indicated that, if you've dug into them at all, that there will not be any, um, any significant effects that are anticipated. They are, for example, uh, traffic, the site's on the truck route, um, and it resides in a low VMT area. San Leandro follows the, and you heard about VMT at your last, your last meeting. San Leandro follows the Alameda County Transportation Commission guidance on VMT, so vehicle miles traveled. VMT from this project, when combined with everything else, is not going to exceed the 15% reduction compared to existing regional VMT per employee. So there are no significant impacts anticipated. So because it's low VMT, it would actually have to almost rise to fall, if you know what I mean. Um, CVMT and it's going to impact. Uh, let me see. Mm, lost my spot. Okay, PMT. With respect to noise, the modeling, the noise modeling indicates that there's less, less than significant impacts for construction noise and also for the operation phases, including for traffic noise. I know what I was going to say about PMT. I'll circle back. Um, with regard to air quality, there were two different studies done. One was for greenhouse gases. The other one was a um, health risk assessment. So with respect to the greenhouse gases, the screening thresholds were not actually exceeded, so a full-scale study was not necessary. Without that, um, which is to say simply that it doesn't, doesn't rise to a, a significant level. The health risk assessment 
indicates that there was no exceedance of the Bay Area Air Quality Management District's um, thresholds for um, for health effects. And that was looking at the nearest residential property, which is about 345 feet southwest. It's looking at adjoining employees, so employees on the adjacent site during construction in particular, and also looking at um, effects on school children. The nearest school is over 1,000 feet away. So there were no significant effects on uh, expected to occur uh, in those locations either. Okay, circling back to the tra uh, to the VMT, I wanted to mention that, um, as you might recall, we don't count trucks in VMT. We do count them in other ways. They get they get accounted for in air quality and and other things. But but it's it's actually something that's left out of VMT because it's something we can't really affect. VMT really affects the um, uh, like a passenger trip, so home to work, that kind of trip, rather than a freight vehicle. Okay. Hmm. So the site plan review question, administrative site plan review question, this project does comply with the code and it demonstrates a harmonious and orderly development. We think it's a, a quality design that's going to really contribute to the city. The loading areas are screened very well and there's Plenty of landscaping, which will also help um, minimize any visual impacts that might occur. The building details are generally consistent around the entire design of the building, and it's also consistent with modern buildings. There's obviously going to be some pretty fair differences between this building and older industrial buildings, but it's very consistent with the type of buildings we're seeing that are uh, being built these days a little more currently, say within the last 10 years. And in fact, there's another building going up at 1345 Doolittle, not too far from this. It'll be within eyesight, and it's very similar. For the conditional use permit, uh, we are concerned about things such as the location and the use being consistent with the objectives and purpose of the uh, industrial general zone and with the general plan, and that it not be detrimental to the public health, safety, and welfare. As we've been through, this is consistent with the zoning and with the general plan designation and the general plan policies. It is compatible with surrounding industrial development. It's on a trek route. The applicant and tenants are going to be required to comply with the conditions on the that are being applied to this project. And there are no adverse impacts expected to occur on traffic, public services, and facilities. This is very consistent with the type of development that we would expect to see here. And so it falls within the city's um, planning efforts. Also with the administrative exception, we look to the question again of whether it will be detrimental, whether the project is detrimental to health, safety, or welfare, or whether it result in undue damage, hardship, or nuisance. Um, we don't believe that's uh, going to occur. We believe this is going to be a, a non-detrimental project and a benefit to the city. Um, the additional height is also not really expected to affect uh, nearby buildings and the land use commission did review this uh, some time ago for compatibility with zone six of the airport plan and had no notable concerns they do have things like you know when you're going to put the cranes up you have to get an faa permit but otherwise they're not concerned with the height of the building
We do have a couple of recommendations on um, revisions to the conditions that are on the, the resolution. The first one is um, condition eight. And I know sometimes we, we find once we, we publish this that as we start talking uh, a little bit more with the staff and, and uh, engaging with the applicant, that we'll find sometimes there are places that we need to clarify or uh, revise a little bit to be consistent with. We overlooked something. It was not completely consistent with the municipal code, so we, we revised the text. These are smaller types of, of changes, except for the first one. Um, this condition, which is condition number eight, has been revised to explicitly reflect how San Leandro addresses the expiration of entitlements. So this one is to read expiration. The project approval shall lapse two years after the date of approval of conditional use permit PLN 220030, unless a grading permit or building permit has been issued, coupled with diligent progress, evidencing good faith intention to commence the intended use, an occupancy permit has been issued, or the approval is granted a one-year extension by the zoning enforcement official upon receipt of a written application with required fee prior to the expiration of the approval. So that's um, to clarify that one. Condition 64, uh, engineering uh, thought there was probably very helpful to add, you'll see there in, on the screen in red, and sidewalk improvements to this particular text. So both the landscape and the sidewalk improvements will need to be um, completed prior to certificate of occupancy, and that's by the applicant, of course. Condition 71 is more of a technical uh, review. This project's been in-house for quite some time, and there have been some changes to, um, to some of the uh, some of the documents that we have to comply with. And so you'll see the text changes there on the screen. And then the final revision that we are recommending is um, that overnight truck parking be consistent with the municipal and zoning codes rather than simply prohibited. We do allow it, it but not in certain locations on the site. So staff is recommending that the Board of Zoning Adjustments adopt a resolution approving the administrative site plan review, conditional use permit, and administrative exception height for the construction and operation of a new 48-foot tall, approximately 79,840 square foot, oops, where'd that G come from? Warehouse distribution facility on a 3.6-acre site located at 1700 Doolittle Drive, BLN 220030 based on the recommended findings of fact and subject to the recommended conditions of approval with the recommended revisions to the conditions as stated previously. With that, I'm ready to answer any questions you may have. We also have engineering here and the applicant is here. Commissioner Tejada. Thank you for that presentation. Appreciate the information. Uh, just a couple of questions that I have. Um, in terms of height, I know that's uh, that's the exception here, the administrative exception being presented, uh, the primary one. Is there any uh, comparable information from the adjacent, adjacent structures on Doolittle Drive that would give us uh, a little bit more intel on are they closer to that 35 foot height window or are there other comparable structures that are really pushing that 50 foot limit uh, 
uh, and a, a property that comes to mind is energy recovery right across the street, 1717 Doolittle. I wonder what their current height is at this moment. That's a darn good question. And I don't have the answer to it. However, I can tell you that 1345 Doolittle, which has just been raised, um, that's going to be 48 feet. The 48 feet seems to be the current height that everybody wants for high pile storage. Um, immediately adjacent to the north is a relatively small building. And I would say that building, I've been out there a couple of times to notice the meeting. So I've been very close to the building. That's where I park. Um, is got to be 15, 18, 20 feet, maybe, that neighborhood. So this is a good bit taller than that. Hummus Heaven is a, a fairly small building. Okay. All right. Good to know. All right. Uh, so it seems like the average is probably closer to the 35 scale than it is kind of in 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 predominance being at the 48-foot marker. Definitely. Okay. Um, there's a statement in the packet that goes on to read something to the effect of the site's configuration uh, prohibits the loading docks from being screened uh, from street views. Can you explain what's prohibiting it from being screened? Yeah, how that's you. a challenge? Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's the site. The problem we have, it's not a huge problem, is right here. Because this little piece is part of the site. If this were, if this piece were not part of the site and we didn't have the parking, the applicant could have taken this building and moved it over here and flipped it around so the loading docks were facing the other direction. But because of this site and this portion of the site and I need to use it for something, it becomes parking and it requires that the building be flipped the other direction. The only place where it's really going to be visible, let me go to the um, elevations. Well, when you come down Williams, the fire station is fairly large, but if you were going, let's say you were going um, north on Doolittle and you made a right-hand turn on Williams, if you look to your left, you would see the, the loading docks just to your left in that little keyhole area, okay? So it'd be screened partly by Hummus Heaven and largely by the, the fire station, which is a fairly large building. I'm not sure how tall that is, but it, it's a, it's a good-sized building. So you'll see here on the third elevation down, this is kind of, you'd probably see just a couple of the, couple of the docks here. It's not going to be a big thing. On the other hand, if you're on the Doolittle Drive side, let me go back again. This part of the, oh, I keep forgetting I don't have the, the cursor here. That little L shape, the, the little foot L shape part of the building actually will screen the loading docks very much from view and they're pushed far back on the site. So because they're um, they're recessed uh, towards the north, that'll help screen it. And in fact, that is what the code requires, is that it be screened. So we not entirely possible to screen it fully from the south, but when that other building, should that other building um, redevelop, that will probably add some screening there as well. I'm guessing it would be larger. Really, it's, it's kind of this... Um post alleyway portion of the leg that comes down uh, off the screen there. I guess that's onto Williams. Mm -hmm. So that portion north, is it? That portion north would be the exposed visual line of sight to the loading docks. Yes. Okay. Got it. Um, next question is uh, trees 
and I understand uh, trees are being used for screening purposes and uh, that's one of the the measures that's measures that's being discussed um, what what are the specifics with selection criteria of the trees themselves is it possible for more harvesting of trees kind of older mature trees to be entertained versus simply going with a uh, tree a new tree planting kind of in their infancy before it gets to a point where they're mature enough to provide actual screening um, in a needed capacity that's a good question and we often do not require say fast growing species there are fast growing species that can be used um, i'm thinking of one in particular like a chinese pistache you can get it you know pretty small but boy in a, in a fairly short order that's a good sized tree with a big canopy um we don't generally prescribe what's on a site, but we ask for a proposal and then it's, that's what's proposed. We could, if it were your desire, we could add that. I would say, yeah, we could discuss if, um, if you're looking for a bit more maturity, a 24 inch box tree versus a 15 gallon would be a good starting point. Um, and we could, we could certainly add that to the conditions of approval at the direction of the commission. Yeah, and I guess it wouldn't be kind of an, an entirety uh, canvas of these mature trees being entertained. Um, my thought would be more in the select areas where it provides the intentionality of a screening uh, objective. Um, so if there are residential dwellings that have that line of sight issue, have the privacy issue, making sure that those locations are being screened kind of primarily. So that's good to know. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, see a few other questions. There's a stating here, there's a statement here on, uh, lighting. Uh, it goes on to say that lighting is not expected to extend onto private properties, but there would be lighting kind of a glow effect that shows onto Doolittle and Williams. Um, that word expected, it, it doesn't necessarily give me the comfort feeling that it won't extend onto residential dwellings because I think that's what it's hinting at onto private properties. Uh, has there been a preliminary lumen study or anything to that effect that shows indeed we don't have lighting that's going to be encroaching onto private properties? Yes. In fact, we do have that. Um, what we were seeing was a couple of lumens onto the edge of Williams, like one or two lumens, literally. It was very low. Um, what you'll see is rather than having the lights are very well shielded, but so you'll get this down, you know, the light will be aimed downward, but yeah, there is light and the, the photons move around. And so there will be a glow mm -hmm. that you will, you know, it's not going to be a dark sky of a deal. Light does escape, but it won't be of the, the direct, here's a light and it's shining on your property approach. And I guess the adjustments could be made where if it is that one to two lumens, there's probably uh facing of the lighting that could be adjusted so that it's not at that one to two type of setting of lumens on a private properties. Um, so is it, is it safe to say, instead of using the word expected, we can change that out to will not, will not yes. encroach on a private properties. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And my last one is just more of a, maybe more of an engineering question related to uh, the general introduction of 15 
truck bays for this development that are being entertained and what that means for Doolittle Drive and our pavement condition index, um, you know, VMTSI, level of service aside, just more so condition of the road. I think that stretch of Doolittle Drive isn't in the best shape. And I'm just worried about the introduction of those 18 wheel trucks and what that means for the lifespan of an already compromised state of Doolittle Drive. Um, are we going to be dealing and facing recurring uh, issues of maintenance in order to keep that pavement up to spec uh, come you know PCI review time and setting the CIP project list in place for pavement rehabilitation? I'd like to invite Senior Engineer Dean Rogers up about that for you. Hello, Commissioner. Hello, Chair. Um, so I can get back to you on that. Uh, we'll definitely evaluate it and we'll work with our city engineer to see what our current condition pavement index is mm. for that road. And then we'll work with the applicant to see what kind of extra loading, if any, uh, will be on that road. So, Okay. Can I ask uh, through the chair, uh, Dane, would the project as new construction be required to pay DFSI fees? And those are used by the city for capital yeah. projects like that's correct. Okay. So we, we have an impact fee for new construction that in, in for non-residential new construction, they pay into a fee that is used for maintenance. And so there's an assessment of the impact and an, an offset through the payment of fees at time of permit issuance. Yeah. Thanks, Dane. Okay, perfect. So there's an avenue there through those fees, potentially if there was a need for maintenance on, on the street itself, it could be handled on Doolittle. Okay. Um, yeah, that takes care of all my questions. Thank you. I have a further answer for you, Commissioner. Oh, okay. Perfect. Um, Planning Manager Lee mentioned that um, condition 32 indicates 24-inch box. You'll see that on page 13 of the resolution, uh, top of the page. Item A. Okay, I see that. Got it. And I guess is it known? Maybe it varies by species, but a twenty-four inch box for tree planting purposes. What would that equate to? Kind of uh, in terms of like average height at planting for a twenty-four inch box. The biggest ones I've gotten are in gallons. Um, five gallons or more. Do you know how big a 24-inch box tree is, Wayland? They're big. 15 gallons is too big for my car. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking height-wise, like yeah. what that translates to. I don't know off the top of my head. We can we can it's we can find more specific information, but yeah. generally it is more mature. It is it is about it is higher than what you get with a 15 gallon planting. Right. We can find more information for you. Okay. Can I can just add a little bit of detail? So um, they could be, you know, maybe like 
six plus feet tall. Um, it depends on the species, but I think what, um, the advice of the arborist that I've worked with in the past is that you don't want to, you know, overplant, especially with our, our new regulations for more water, you know, drought tolerant plants. Like you, you typically want to, um, be very patient and plant small so that when they grow to mature size, they're not requiring significant amounts of hedging, which is sending green waste to the landfill or for, you know, to, um, or, you know, putting emissions with like the use of hedging materials and stuff. So you want to kind of get them, they're not very impressive usually, just the plants in general um, on day one. But if you give them a year or so, they fill in very nicely. Um, so those those trees we've seen, um, people do some very big statement mature trees in, in certain settings. It can be really significantly costly. And then the trees have a higher risk of failure um, if they're mature. So it's, it's 24 inches, the recommendation I've had from arborists for a a more substantial, you know, immediate effect, but without, you know, overdoing it and risking the tree failing. So that would be our, our recommendation. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, again, for me, it's just more so height as a concern and making sure that it's, it's really providing that screening, uh, objective that it should be and, and waiting a prolonged period for that to occur. I don't know, you know, the benefits of that, because it's still going through its growing season to get to a point where it's providing a benefit, which is why the whole harvesting and repurposing, hearkening back to a sustainability aspect of things. I know we can probably, or the developer can probably work with a harvesting farm of sorts and, um, you know, select certain trees that are more mature, uh, entertain those for approval and potentially bring those on board in select areas where it does provide an immediate screening purpose. A couple locations on the site where probably maximum benefit. That's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Tabjulu. Thank you for the presentation. So with the 15 uh, truck base and 80 plus parking spaces, what does the traffic impact analysis show? I understand there are no significant impacts, but for the nearby intersections or the traffic on the streets? Well, so you're asking about LOS. Don't like LOS anymore. <laughs> we do have the LOS study, however. <laughs> um, the LOS study was showing that there is, you know, it's going to be A through D at all of the study intersections, which were um, Doodle and Driveway One, Doodle and Williams, Driveway Two and Williams. They're all going to be level A through D in the existing, well, existing is nothing there. Okay. Um, existing plus project to 2024 without project and 2024 with project. So it's a it's easy, A through D, no impact. My second question is, uh, I know that there is no tenant identified yet, I know because there's still like a few years down the line, uh, but for any of the tenant improvements, like would they have to come back to the city for approval for any kind Absolutely. of changes? Mm -hmm. So all the conditions that uh, we're putting in place today will stay through the tenants occupying the mm -hmm. building. Yes. So in terms of the next steps for the projects, where does this project go Like after, after this board? Well, they'll continue on through the building process. Last December, and remember it's February, by last December, I mean December of 2022, they submitted at-risk building permit plans. So we originally expected this project to go to hearing in, we were hoping February and then March. We had it scheduled for April. We continued it from April to May, and then it, it got for reasons that were had to do with the building permit. 
Um, so they went and revised and they're they're resubmitting. So it's it's already underway, but it'll it'll continue to undergo review. Uh, so when this project did come back uh, come last year in May, so what exactly was the item on the agenda at the time? Like, so what did we approve or? You didn't, it was continued to a date uncertain. This is the date. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So. Um, what uses is this site currently approved for? Well, it's a IG zoned property. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it doesn't have an entitlement other than the zoning itself. Okay. It's a industrial property. Okay, great. Um, I think I'm just going to recommend to this to the staff or whoever provided the drawings. I think in in the future when we think about a vicinity map, right? Just like the previous presentation, we could actually see aerial footage of the surrounding neighborhood, and we have no context um, since we are reviewing. There's no context to what the neighbors on right. either side look like. So I do have a question. Um, if we go to the elevations. I believe it's the east elevation. Is is there another um, property that's right on this property line? It's more industrial development. Right. Mm -hmm. But is it developed? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. And then in regards... It's railroad right there, and then it's uh, 2020 Williams. In regards to lighting, are all four sides of the building lit, or will they have sconces? Um, there's a very narrow pathway along. Yes. Yeah, the narrow pathway is actually for um, uh, emergency egress. So yes. Okay. And so when we were previously talking about light falling on residential areas, are there any residential areas surrounded? Not immediately adjacent. It's 350 feet southwest. So okay. the intersection of, of Williams and Doolittle, but Kitty Corner. Right. Okay. Okay. So a vicinity map might have kind Absolutely. of helped along the conversation on whether light was spilling on residential we will do that. Okay. Apologize for its lack. Great. Okay. Thank you. Is the applicant present? Would you like to address the commission? Let's go. This is a PDF, not a...
Got my heart rate back to normal. Thank you. <clears throat> so uh, thank you, Chair Zuber and the members of the Board of Zoning Adjustments. Uh, on behalf of the project team, my name is Mark English with Seven Bridges Properties. Um, so I really want to appreciate, um, expend our appreciation on behalf of the team for your time here tonight. Um, just quick introduction of the team and the project. Uh, we've been taking pretty careful notes and uh, some parts of our presentation, I may slow down a little bit because I think they may answer some questions uh, which came up from the, uh, the members of the board um, earlier. So the uh, 1700 Doolittle is also known as 2198 uh, Williams because it has frontage on two different, uh, two different streets. Uh, we call it 17, 1700 Doolittle. Uh, the property is owned by W.P. Carey. Uh, W.P. Carey is a real estate company based in New York City. They own property nationwide. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a history of the property itself, but W.P. Carey has owned this, uh, this property for 31 years and uh, is very, very excited, uh, along with the rest of the team, to be here tonight um, with this proposed project, which we hope will um, sort of extend yeah, the life and improve the life of the project for another, uh, you know, 50, 100 years. Um, so we're excited to be here and thank you. Um, the project architect is HPA. Uh, the project civil engineer is Kieran Wright. And uh, members of our entire project team are here tonight uh, for any questions, any technical questions that come up. So uh, here's a, an aerial uh, with some, some context. Um, we originally had included this to really cover the ownership history of the site. Uh, WP Carey purchased this, it says, in 1997 from Scott Companies, who is the owner-occupier of the property. We actually uh, figured out tonight they've owned it since 1992, since so well over 30 years. Um, WP Carey is not a merchant developer. They don't buy properties and flip them after they develop them. They are a long-term uh, owner of, of real estate. And this is very much in keeping with their, their mindset. Um, the property was originally part of a much larger uh, set of properties. Uh, we call it the Comstock property. They sold that to, uh, to the Comstock companies uh, in, well, let's see. So first they sold a one acre site to the city in 2002, uh, which is where the fire department presently is right next door. Um, the uh, Scott companies went bankrupt in 2003, um, and as part of the cleanup of that situation, WP Carey sold the adjacent uh, larger building uh, across the uh, up here, sold that to Comstock, and then the remainder of the property right down here was, uh, was further developed in uh, about 2010-2012. And uh, the remaining property, which is our, the one we're talking about here, um, has been a vacant parking lot. It was originally uh, part of parking for the Scott Company's manufacturing facility. It's been a uh, vacant parking lot since then. It was leased to Apple for five years. Um, between 2005 and 2010, there was a land use approval for a conditional use permit to allow parking there. Um, the Apple never occupied the site, so it's essentially been vacant for an extended period of time. Uh, we first started discussions with city staff in 2019 about potential development options for the site. Uh, since we've got the aerial up, I uh, just wanted to address a couple of questions with respect to the context uh, that were raised. The um, Hummus Heaven 
property is this little postage stamp parcel right on the corner. Um, and then kitty corner to that is a gas station uh, right here. The nearest residential structure is behind the gas station in this area here. So um, to give you a sense of, of, you know, we're 350 feet away from that residence, but there's quite a lot between us and us and it. Uh, we have been working with staff, as I mentioned, since 2019. We've explored a number of different options that have all wound up on the cutting room floor. Um, we've looked at uh, self-storage uh, for the site, uh, which wasn't uh, well-received by the city. And uh, so, so we haven't pursued that. We've looked at a lot of different potential site plans and, um, and really just kind of wanted to use this slide to highlight a couple of things about the site which we've already seen, uh, we've got two different access points off of Doolittle and Williams here. The site's 3.6 acres and it's got kind of funky geometry, uh, which made site planning a real challenge for, uh, for this property. And um, so again, we looked at a lot of different options. There was a balance of um, adequacy and proximity of parking to the building, uh, truck movements in and out of the property, um, all sorts of things, and, and it's been a bit of a challenge, but we're really excited with the, uh, with the project that we've landed on with the help um, of staff over an extended period of time. Uh, here's the site plan. We've already looked at it. Uh, um, did want to correct. Um, we did have a site plan previously that had 15 dock doors. We had to make some modifications to the building. Uh, about nine months ago, uh, which was one of the reasons for the delay um, that resulted in a change of the footprint of the building. And we're now down to 13 dock doors. Um, so just a minor correction there. Um, the site plan does include up to uh, 12,500 square feet of office and 86 uh, vehicle passenger vehicle parking spaces. Both of those metrics are well above average for an industrial warehouse building. Um, our experience, this is a relatively small uh, industrial building, and our experience is that there's a lot of different potential users that could express interest in this building. We've spent a fair bit of time on uh, the architecture. We've got some renderings, which I'll share with you. Um, th this could be a lot of different things, but where our aspiration is that this is, um, you know, a small to medium sized growing company and that it's not just an industrial building. It's not just a warehouse for someone to store goods at, but it's also somewhere that a corporation may uh, use as its headquarters. And uh, our experiences with these types of buildings that um, sometimes companies come and they want quite a bit more office space than we're used to seeing. And so we've added designed extra flexibility on the upside for that type of office space to accommodate that use if it comes by without having to come back to the Board of Zoning Adjustments for additional entitlements. So uh, I talked about the, the office component of this and the, the vehicle parking to match that. Um, the, uh, the elevations are, are always a little difficult because they don't really, you know, in two dimensions, it doesn't really convey the full um, scope of the, the project. We spent a lot of time, uh, particularly on this exact corner here, which is the most visible and high profile corner uh, visible from Doolittle. Uh, you can see there's a lot of glass line. We've used canopies to break up the massing of the corner. Um, important to note 
that there's a four to five foot elevation change between Doolittle and the main portion of the property, which creates an opportunity to create a little bit more sense of place. Um, so you can see there's a lot of landscaping on the corner. There's a little bit of, um, of not really a full patio, but there's more hardscape in front of the main entryway. And uh, the parking is set back uh, pretty significantly from Doolittle. So um, spent a lot of time and are really sort of proud of and excited by by this building and the opportunity it presents. Talked about the prominent entry uh, corner entryway um, as it relates to there's, you know, there's not a lot of frontage on Doolittle, but it is, um, you know, set back only 20, 25 feet from the street. So rather than treat this as a typical uh, industrial building, we added some additional glass along the frontage and we also designed the canopy and have given that, uh, you know, also an opportunity for tenant signage. This is an approach that you'd probably see more often on, you know, I'd call it quasi-retail uh, type uh, type structure. But, you know, again, given the prominence along Doolittle, the visibility, we thought that this is something that um, was worth investing uh, some time and some money in, uh, in enhancing the profile. Also, again, for a little bit of perspective, in the lower left-hand corner, you can see the view of the way the property looks on Google Maps as of a couple days ago. This gives you a sense of what it is and, and what it uh, could be with the approvals and, and the construction of the building. And oh, sorry, there's one other question that came up. Types of tenants that could that could occupy uh, the property. The, the, the Really, the intent here is to build a very, very flexible industrial building. So, um, you know, traditional manufacturing, um, the Scott Companies was across the street for a long time. That's a good example. Acco's a big tenant uh, in San Leandro, another more traditional type manufacturing. Um, someone mentioned energy recovery. They're right across the street in the building that WP Carey uh, used to uh, used to own. One of the things that is also an important feature of this building is we've applied to PG&E for 4,000 amps of, um, of electricity. That is important for manufacturers and advanced manufacturers. Um, the board may also be aware that California has enhanced uh, fleet route electrification requirements for commercial fleets uh, that is going to require more than 75% of all commercial fleets to be electric or um, zero emission by 2035, which means that we're going to need a lot of power uh, at the property to accommodate the fast charging of those commercial vehicles. So we're really have, um, have kind of future proofed the property in the sense of power, additional office, uh, additional parking to support all of that. Um, with the expectation that, you know, this is going to be a state-of-the-art building for, for a long time to come. Uh, Tarani Marathon Packaging are food and beverage companies in San Leandro. Um, those are two other, you know, examples of uh, the types of tenants that this building is designed for. Um, Wine.com, uh, that building was a project that I uh, developed about six or seven years ago um, and really excited with the way that turned out for, for both us and the city. Um, you know, they're an example of a retail wholesale type tenant that would also be a fit for the building. Um, home building materials is another uh, is another category. Superior Tile and Stone is a nearby tenant, very prominent, someone who this building could work for. Um, this this building is also designed. The 13 dock doors could be a great fit for a logistics-oriented user as well. Um, Siva is someone who's just down the street from us. 
Um, so those are all examples of the types of tenants that, you know, we would hope would be interested in the building. Um, it's going to really depend on who's in the market and requiring space at the time when the project is constructed. But we think all of those, you know, would be really exciting wins for the city and for, um, for us as well. So uh, with that, uh, I'll end my prepared comments. And again, thank you everybody for your time. We appreciate it. It's been a long road uh, to get here with the city, but staff has been phenomenal to work with and we're really happy to be here and welcome any questions or feedback uh, on the project tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Does the commission have any questions for the applicant? Commissioner Rich. Yeah, thank you for those comments. I just have I just have one question, and that is regarding uh, the lead gold target for uh, the building. That that is pretty much state of the art, one step below platinum, if I recall correctly. And I'm, and I'm interested. Do you have experience uh, with projects like this being lead gold before? Or would this be a first try uh for me personally this would be a first try for an industrial building not for not for other types of structures um wp carry have you guys yeah the, the answer is yes so we've done a preliminary lead scorecard on the building and it's achievable um it's going to take some additional investment uh which wp carry is committed to doing um it is achievable but it's it's definitely going to be a best in class uh environmental uh, structure. Thank you. Commissioner Tahada. I guess, uh, thank you for the presentation. A lot of good information there. Uh, the context you provided with the visual certainly did help, uh, the concern there being the lighting, knowing that the way that the staff report reads, it reads as private properties, uh, with the encroachment of lighting, potentially glowing onto those premises. So Hummus Haven, I believe is a, would be the nearest adjacent property. Yep. And it sounds like based on the staff's description that lighting uh, would not be encroaching onto Hummus Haven. It would be confined within the space itself for, for the development. That's correct. The, so we've, we've prepared a photometric study, which shows the uh, candle uh, strength at each location along the area around the building. And what it shows is that the, the light basically reduces to zero by the property line. Okay. Perfect. Good to hear. Um, keeping in line with sustainability out of the 86 parking spaces, how many of those are dedicated for EV charging EV parking spaces? Uh, if you give our architect a few minutes while Hopefully I'm fielding some other questions. We can, okay. we can get an answer. And then while, while that's being looked up, um, the renderings do provide, it looks like the front entryway being somewhat of a kind of quasi uh, green space as a neandering pathway. Uh, but that is more frontage facing onto, I believe that's Doolittle. Is there anything maybe proper to the property itself as a benefit to the workers as a benefit to the tenant coming in. That's a true natural green space that's being provided. Or is there the thought process of potentially incorporating some, some form of green space on the property? Yeah. Great, great question. We, we, uh, as we initially 
stated kind of as a team, our design objectives for the building. Um, we have developed uh, green spaces in other projects, uh, in other contexts. A couple of things that uh, really sort of informed our design for this site. One is it's kind of small and the geometry is really funky. So, you, And we also have the, um, the stormwater treatment requirements. So there's a lot of space dedicated, not just to landscaping, to the bioswales, which is a long way of saying we don't have a lot of space to work with. Um, so the other uh, the other factor that kind of informed our thinking about this is it's Doolittle's a really busy corridor, so it's not the kind of location that really lends itself to having a lot of kind of outdoor recreation space right there. Um, the other the other uh, factor into our thinking on that is that we're already in a commercial corridor with lots of retail opportunities and other recreational spots around it, so we really kind of wanted to lean on complementing what was around us, not just kind of creating something new, uh, new to the existing retail spaces around us. We've got the gate is, you know, really just a stone's throw um, away from us. And there's a lot of retail uh, and kind of recreation opportunities, open space over there. Uh, we've got a lot of strip retail down to the south of us. Uh, and then there's the golf course in the marina just uh, a little bit further away. So our thinking was, um, let's maximize the things on our site that, you know, can really sort of help our site specifically. And then let's also take advantage of what's around us. Okay. Fair enough. And I guess maybe kind of piggybacking onto that, you had mentioned that this could fit multiple tenants, uh, depending on what their use is ultimately for day-to-day -day functions out of the facility. If there was a tenant that say during the design development phase approach, your team and wanted the incorporation of green space built in. Is that something that could be accommodated knowing that there's some securities there with that tenant ultimately being the property owner and moving forward with uh, the plot and incorporating that within design? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's, you know, we're, um, we're planning on developing this building speculatively, which means we won't have a tenant identified. So we're, we do the best we can to kind of, appeal to as many different perspective tenants as we can. There's always an opportunity to make uh, tweaks to the design, you know, even once it's done, it's not unusual for tenants to come in and say, you know, nice try, but we want it different. And, you know, we, we accommodate that. Okay. And that would kind of be par for the course for the 13 dock doors. If, you know, all or even half of those would be requested in terms of elimination by that tenant, that would be something as an accommodation that could be made. Oh, for sure. That alleviates the concern that I had with pavement condition index, if if that was to be the case. Yep. And it moves on to something more of a true headquarter office, as you had mentioned. So if it's a true headquarter office and not necessarily a logistics warehousing office, uh, then maybe the truck bays are, are a moot point at, at, at that juncture. Absolutely. The, the, the truck bays that we have here, I think the way we look at it uh, as developers and designers is it's the dock doors are important for certain types of tenants. And, you know, if they come along and that's the tenant that's available, you know, we have to be able to meet that demand. But these, what's what's really one of the most valuable parts of the site plan is this, this large secured yard right here. Mm -hmm. Those yards get used in all sorts of ways. Um, you know, sometimes you have a tenant who's manufacturing or R&D related and they need mechanical equipment. You know, you see a lot of the tenants at the gate right now. Mm -hmm that are sort of incubating out of the, the upper portion. They need a lot of mechanical equipment to support operations inside. Uh, sometimes that's excess parking. 
you know, if you have a higher employee density, uh, a lot of times you'll see these truck courts converted to more passenger vehicle parking. So okay. it, it's really flexible. The, the building's supposed to be flexible and the yard is supposed to be flexible. And then last question for me, you had mentioned uh, 4,000 amps of service is what's being brought into the building. Um, I'm assuming that's just coming into an electrical room on the lower level. So the end state of construction for this tilt-up structure is one where it's kind of a, a semi-warm state of a cold, semi-warm state of a core and shell type of structure. Nothing's going to be undertaken in terms of moving that 4,000 amp service and kind of uh, I guess, facilitating it upwards into the office level, into the mezzanine, what improvements would be undertaken at the mezzanine level for, for the office space? Yeah, absolutely. So just uh, while we're on the site plan here, the, uh, the transformer is programmed to be located right here. Uh, I think you can see the, where the cursor is and there's an electrical room corresponding right here. Mm -hmm. The idea is power from that location, which is you know, pretty close to the middle of the site, you can relatively easily distribute power out to the truck cord if you need to for EV charging or when you need to for EV charging. Mm -hmm. It's also inside the building. So, and it's close to where the office space is going to be. So however much office space is ultimately wound up built out there over time, the power serves that as well. Okay. So you land to the electrical room, but you don't distribute to the office or you don't distribute to say EV charging. Is that correct? Uh, Entirely tenant specific. That's part of the tenant package when they come in and lease the building is the, the distribution. Okay. So they would take that on as part of tenant improvements. Got it. Okay. That's it for me. Thank you. Five EV parking spaces. Thank you, Teresa. Okay. Commissioner Tabjulu. Thank you for providing the 25-year 25 uh, 25 history of the space. Uh, and I'm happy that uh, you're utilizing it. Uh, I know you mentioned that you're going for the LEED certification. And so what kind of features or amenities are you including to make solar power a feasible option for the tenant? Yeah, so, uh, so uh, there's probably two stages to the solar power question. The first one is kind of structural and infrastructural. You know, how do we make the roof solar ready? Um, and that really comes down to making sure you build a robust enough roof to support future solar. And then you provide the conduit. So when the solar is placed on the roof, that it's you, it, it's much easier to get it down into the building uh, if you pre-build the conduit to anticipate that. So that's number one. Um, number two, and this is uh, unique to WP Carry, is that they have a commitment to uh, employ solar on their industrial buildings across their portfolio in the US. And this project is envisioned to be part of that program. So um, it's not technically required by code and it's gonna be um, very dependent on what tenant shows up, what their power needs are, what their power profile is, but this project will include solar. Thank you. Commissioner Solis. Yeah, thanks for that presentation, Mark. Um, building looks like it's going to be really nice. But um, one subject that's near and dear to me that I usually ask of uh, applicants coming, do you have a general contractor chosen yet? We do not. Do you have potential contractors that you're talking to? We've uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, working with a whole bunch of general contractors to try to price out the the project and get a sense of what our cost structure is. So we've got... 
you know, we've talked to probably seven or eight different general contractors. So, yeah, it's, it's important to me as a uh, board member here to ensure that, you know, if you, you come to San Leandro to do business and you're asking for our permission to build this project, it's important to me specifically to ensure that we're going to employ contractors that are not um, under investigation for wage theft, things like that, properly licensed, and that they provide livable wages and benefits for the construction workers that actually build especially with this type of process with the tilt-up construction um, process. I, I see a lot of wage theft and underpayment uh, to, to the workers themselves. And to me, that's a real benefit to the community that you're coming here asking us for permission that you do your best to ensure that the workers working in our city are going to be provided with good family-sustaining wages and benefits. Yeah, we, we, um, so first of all, thank you for making that comment. Um, WP Carey is an owner who's really, um, in tune with the issue. Um, I've developed projects in San Leandro and I appreciate that as well. Um, we, we do, uh, we have, uh, had discussions with some of the trades, um, have a commitment to, uh, to use them, uh, on this project. Um, we, uh, envision that there will be a role for, most or all of the trades on this project. Um, we have need a little bit of flexibility in certain instances to make sure we're getting the best pricing, but we really sort of are leaning into that aspect of operating in San Leandro. Can you tell me which trades you have the commitment with? Yeah, so the, the five trades that we've committed to are the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, sprinkler fitters, and uh, I believe it's the sheet metal workers. And how much of a percentage would you say all those trades put together represent on that? Uh, in terms of cost, dollar, like uh, there's a couple of different ways to answer that question. It's it's a let me ask answer this way. It's is a is a percentage of the labor component of the project. It's at least fifty percent. Um, there's the materials component as well, but it's a as a as the labor's component to it. Um, it's a big percentage. So, what would it take to include uh, the other fifty percent? Well, I'll be really candid with you. Um, this project, because of its size um, and um, and the geometry of the site, is uh, is going to be very, very expensive to build. It's one of the reasons why we were supposed to be in front of the commission uh, back in April and May of 2023 and why it's taken us uh, nine months to get back here in February. Um, we At that point, there was several changes to the site plan that were being made or considered to be made, um, which caused us, and we also had a situation where we know that this um, project is going to have a what's called a vapor intrusion mitigation system, which is due to some upstream historical contamination, which we need to mitigate. Um, so when all those factors you know, kind of came together in a one month period, we said, let's halt and let's look at what our design is going to really finally be. And let's spend some time partnering with the general contractors and really figuring out what this thing's going to cost. And unfortunately the first, uh, the first couple of passes that we took with them was the building was going to be too expensive to build. Um, it was just with all these things coming, uh, it was going to be too expensive to build right now. Um, so we had to go back and, you know, really take a close look at our cost structure. We knew that the, um, the, skilled trade uh, component was going to be really important to San Leandro. Um, when we were designing the project, that specific factor was a goal of ours. 
And what we've done is we've committed to that to the maximum extent we feel we can and still make the project pencil. Um, there absolutely will be an opportunity and a, and a high likelihood that more uh, of the trades will be involved in this uh, in this project. For example, um, you know we're going to have a hybrid um, roof system, metal truss, plywood. The, there's one subcontractor who's the best one in California. They're signatory to Carpenters, so um, you know, ninety nine percent chance that that we use them. So there absolutely will be a, a component for all of the the trades it's just at this point with our cost structure we can't make a commitment uh to go ahead beyond what we've already done um and, and also and I'll in good conscience be here saying this project's going to get built we're going to do the best we can i appreciate that i just encourage you to continue a conversation if you're having it yeah we will and we mr bold yes thank you um Wish I would have went uh, before Commissioner Solis because that is very important to me as well. Um, making sure that livable wages are being paid to the people that are building this project is very important. My question was not around that. Mine is about the fiber optic loop. This is a great chance to tap into that. So I was just wondering what type of uh, efforts are you guys making to let that be known to your prospective tenants? Is that like number one? On Cause this is a very under, we spent a lot of money on this in the city and it's very underutilized. And so, you know, it, when we know it's out there, what, what type of efforts are we making to actually tap into it to help consumer maybe, you know, uh, grow the uh, possible tenants? Yeah, great question. I think I might have missed that point in my presentation. <laughs> it was going too fast. Um, we're lucky uh, to be. I think we're actually wrapped by the the San Leandro lit or lit San Leandro um, fiber optic network on both Doolittle and William Street. Um, so that definitely does factor into our marketing program. Uh, Kevin Hatcher, uh, who's uh, one of the leads on our leasing team, is here tonight. That is, I wouldn't say it's necessarily. Um, going to win it on its own, but it's definitely a differentiator for this property when we're competing against other properties, particularly for advanced manufacturing, manufacturing type tenants who have a high data usage. So it's a huge, it's a huge factor and we know we're proximate to it. We're going to promote that. And I, I expect it, it's relatively easy because the building's so close to the, to do little, it's relatively easy to tap into that for us. It's a, you know, it's one of the, the real benefits of the site. Just to follow that, then, are you in the phase of actually looking for tenants? Like, are you out there looking right now or no? And if so, what has been the, um, when you bring that up, what has been the response? Like, oh, wow. Or is it just kind of like, oh, you're not in. Okay. Right. Right on. Thank you. Right. 
Um, is there anyone from the public who wishes to speak on this item? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I will call our first speaker, Brian Warner. All right. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Brian Warner. I'm a business representative for Sheet Metal Workers Local 104. Uh, I am here tonight representing over 200 San Leandro households who are members of my union and those families that make their living here as electricians, sheet, er, electricians, sprinkler fitters, plumbers, and iron workers. Like other San Leandro families, our, our members want to live in the community where they can raise a, a family in a healthy, vibrant neighborhood. I am speaking from a perspective as an advocate for high-quality union construction being built by local construction workforce who are being paid families of supporting wages. WP Carey proposed a project being built consist, consistent with the general plan that will include, excuse me, this project will not adversely, uh, consistent with the plan and this project will not adversely impact uh, anybody's quality of life. The project will provide a workforce related to community benefits. Dozens of residents will be employed on, on it. This will include many apprentices enrolled in uh, training programs local to here to the city, two of them. This means more opportunity for San Leandro youth and at risk to gain entry into middle-class careers. Um, this project is uh, being right in the right location, but it's going to bring good jobs and much needed community benefit. Please support it. Thank you. Thank you. Jean Jones. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Jean. I've lived in San Leandro all my life. I'm familiar where WP Carey wants to build this project. I urge you to support it. The project site has been a parking lot for a very long time. And the proposed project will revitalize this prominent visible corner. It's been uh, it's being built in an industrial area of San Leandro, so it'll have little to no negative impacts on current residents. The business that will occupy the project will bring good jobs and help our local economy by being a client to other businesses in the area. Finally, as a member of UA Local 342, I want to thank WP Carey for their commitment to the use of the local union construction workforce. That means the wage being paid to the, 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 that means the wage being paid to build the project will be spent at local businesses. That means more apprenticeship opportunities for San Leandro young workers. It's a win-win for everywhere for everyone. Thank you. Please vote. Yes. Alex Hampton. Good evening, Chair and members of the San Leandro Planning Commission. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak tonight. I'm a field representative for Local 713 Alameda County. I represent approximately 
37,000 carpenters in Northern California, 4,000 in Alameda County, and over 500 here in San Leandro. I'm here tonight with concerns regarding the industrial project, 1700 Doolittle warehouse project. Here's another industrial warehouse in the heart of the Bay Area without labor standards. I'm here to ask the city, what are you, what are you getting in return? Is there any commitment to put San Leandro residents on this project? If by some miracle, a resident gets the opportunity to work on this project, would they be paid a living wage? Would the workers be entitled to health care or retirement? Again, what are we getting in return? I know that having a responsible contractor can help to help the community in many ways, especially when it comes to local hire apprenticeship, health care, and area, area standard wages. The applicant has not made a commitment to use a responsible union general contractor, a general contractor that partners with the North Cal Carpenters Union to pay area standards, provide suitable health care for the workers as well as support for apprentices in San Leandro to be given to the opportunity to begin their to begin to continue their career in the construction industry. In conclusion, we ask that the commission require this developer to do the right thing in San Leandro and exchange and require labor standards on this project. Thank you for your time and service in this matter. Thank you. I think we're ready to close this public hearing and bring the item back for discussion by the board. Do I hear a motion to adopt the resolution? Um, if, if we're going to move right into motions, I make a motion to adopt this resolution. Uh, yes. To clarify, is that with the modified conditions? Yes, and also, um, this is where, okay. So I did have ex parte communication with the representative of the applicant. I want that on the record, but I did make the motion of adopting with the amendment. With the light encroachment on the private property. I have a second? Not a second, but a comment prior to making the second. So I appreciate the public comment. Um, uh, the commentary from Mr. Warner um, mentioning that this project is going to, sorry, project is going to bring, um, you know, labor standards apprenticeship. But in, in my opinion, that's great for that portion. But again, just want to reiterate to the applicant that very important that if you're going to justify that, it also should apply to the rest of the trade. So I uh, just want to reiterate my um, recommendation to continue conversation to fill in because I can't imagine that those trades you mentioned that you have to deal with. But um, anyway, just encourage you to. really fair, you know, include very few. Uh, 
opposed to the more uh, prevalent workers that will be out there. So that's it. Thank you. And with that, I'll, I'll second the motion. Mr. Tejada. I just wanted to clarify uh, the motion and the amendments that are being uh, moved and were just seconded. So the amendments would be the amendments that were presented by staff. I think it was the final slide, the two items that didn't make it into, if it's handy and yeah, sorry. Just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page with those amendments that are being adopted. It's a long recommendation. <laughs> okay. So here's the recommendation itself. And then here are the revisions. So it's condition eight, condition 64, condition 71, and condition 83. I can leave this on screen for a moment if you like. Okay. And then it's probably just more of a formality since we've cleared it up during the discussion portion here, but the lighting not encroaching into private properties that yes. being picked up kind of with this change as well. And I know it's not a requirement from the developer if they want to look into it and strategically place mm -hmm. them, but more of the harvesting scenario with larger trees as an option, um, not part of this, this motion on the table now, but just food for thought for the developer to uh, potentially move in that direction. Um, so with that, I'm in concurrence. Uh, I think we're all on the same page with what we're uh, moving at this point in time, recommendation-wise, and the additional clarifications or conditions that were brought up by staff, plus the lighting um, correction as well. Okay, we'll take it back to the motion. It has been moved by Commissioner Bolt and seconded by Commissioner Solis to adopt a resolution approving administrative site plan review, conditional permit, conditional use permit, and administrative exception for the construction and operation of a new 48-foot-tall, approximately 79,840-square-foot warehouse distribution facility on a 3.6-acre lot at 1700 Doolittle Drive and determining that the project is categorically exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA, pursuant to CEQA guidelines, section 15332. Please cast your vote. The motion passes unanimously. Decisions of the Board of Zoning Adjustments are final unless appealed to the City Council by filing a form to the City Clerk within 15 days of the date of this action. The form shall specifically state the reason for the appeal and an appeal fee is required. Do we have any comments from the commissioners? Commissioner Rich. Uh, yes, thank you. Excuse me. Um, in December of 2023, the City Council uh, received and approved the 2022 Housing Element Annual Progress Report. 
Uh, table B of that progress report provided, provided the, the latest data on permitted units by affordability under RENA. And so there's some information I'd like to share with my fellow commissioners on, on that table B. It shows that for the fifth RENA cycle, which uh, on, in the table B was between 2015 and 2022, I think it also continues for a month into 2023, but it's the, the lion's share of that cycle. Um, San Leandro permitted 26% of our very low income housing allocation, uh, barely one quarter of it, and 47% of our low income housing allocation, uh, less than half. I've, I've heard many people uh, say that uh, here in San Leandro, we're doing a good job on affordable housing and we really need to focus on market rate housing. Uh, the fact is that San Leandro is not now meeting its RENA affordable housing production uh, allocations, and it never has met them for any of the three most recent RENA cycles that date back to 1999. I'm, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to knock staff on this. I think that the planning department is doing a good job, but they can only, they can only lead that horse to water. They cannot make that horse drink, and to the extent a... Developer uh, receives entitlements and elects not to pursue diligently pursue permits. Uh, there's not much that planning can do about that. And what happens from that, what flows out from that, is that a rational developer's uh, business decision can affect our reputation in the market, and we can get the reputation of a difficult place to to build. And I think that that's a place that we may be right now. Fortunately, we've taken important steps to counter that reputation, including getting our housing element approved. Uh, and we've entitled and permitted new housing, multifamily housing projects downtown. I think there's more that we can do. Uh, I think I mentioned in the past about HCD's pro-housing designation, which could help us evaluate strategies uh, that can help us to improve our housing production. There's also Bay Area Housing for All, a regional housing bond that uh, is being discussed for the November ballot which would help us to produce and protect uh, tens of thousands of affordable homes in our region. Um, I hope that we exceed our new housing production allocations for the sixth cycle that we're currently in. Those new goals are a lot higher than the, the previous cycle's allocation, so it's going to be a challenge. But when I hear someone say that San Leandro is doing a good job on affordable housing production, I'm, I just want to... I kind of want to hear, can you show me the data on that? Because I don't think the data supports that. Thank you. Mr. Tejada. Um, yes, so just a, a couple of comments and updates here. Um, there was a really great session that I attended on January 23rd that was led by Mike Jeffries, uh, Chief chief building official here with the city of San Leandro. I believe the, the open, open forum was titled Permits 101. Uh, it was recorded as well too. So I, I'd encourage uh, the commission members uh, to watch the playback on that. It's, it's really great in the sense of Mike diving into the details of what the ins and outs are from a building um, and safety perspective what they're looking for, how the permitting process works. A lot of questions that maybe I had without necessarily knowing the fine-tuned details. 
Mike addresses during that that forum. Uh, there's a PDF document that he was uh, he was talking from. So I think that that actual document might be available online too with the recording. Uh, I saw Commissioner uh, Bolt there, so it was a it was a great session overall. Uh, attending from a resident perspective, but also wanting to get educated more from the planning commission side of the house. How does everything kind of run full circle within the actual uh, building and safety department from permitting and and that whole gambit? So, just putting that out there as a as a, as a note. Um, also, um, I had the honor of attending. Uh, maybe some other commissioners received an invite as well too, but the Altamira Club operating out of the Peralta House, they had their 117th birthday celebration on Monday, uh, 129. And that was a great event. Um, totally, totally worthwhile to attend. Uh, nothing but just positive energy from, from the host, uh, from Charlotte, who's the president of the club. And as you guys would remember, we had an item a few months back regarding the expanded hours for the Peralta house and hosting of events. Uh, so it was good to hear from the members that those actions that were put in place have helped substantially. Um, they're definitely uh, seeing an uptick in events that are occurring right now. And it's offsetting maybe some of those losses that were accrued during the, uh, the COVID timeframe of not being able to host events. So uh, they're certainly grateful for that. And it looks as though that's moving along uh, perfectly. Um, uh, last thing for me is next week, I believe the city, the city of San Leandro has their facilities and transportation meeting. Um, and if I recall correctly, it's going to be the pavement 101 series part two. Um, I watched the playback on the 101 series, so it definitely left a lot to be desired uh, for the upcoming segment that's occurring next week. Um, it was great history, great information. Don't get me wrong with the segment that occurred last week, uh, but really, I think for the majority of us, it's it's how do we get to the deciding factors that lead into ultimately what streets receive rehabilitation when uh, is kind of the crux of the issue. So the history was great, but I think we're diving into the meat and potatoes next week. Um, I plan on attending, uh, potentially other commission members do too. Uh, so that would be um, something that I'm looking forward to. And I just wanted to broadcast that, that next Wednesday at 4 p.m. is when that facilities and transportation meeting is. And then maybe uh, the secretary is going to hit on this, but it's great to see the handouts here uh, for the uh, schedule or the schedule of where current projects reside, whether they're in planning or whether they're uh, in construction. This is great. Um, maybe just the timing uh, when we get to your, your update on when the actual website would be going live to be supplemental to this. Maybe it is live. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but uh, it'd be great to know that just so that we can point residents to here's the website and here's where you can go to see in real time where these projects currently reside in the system. And that's it for me. I do want to share the news that uh, last week, Alameda County Transportation Commission unanimously appointed me for the independent watchdog committee. Uh, for the measure B and BB funds. So I'll be starting that position soon as well. It's a voluntary position, uh, but it does uh, track and see like, I mean, how the measure BB funds are being spent across the county. Uh, so it's more like an oversight body for the, for the measure funds. I'm really excited to learn more about how 
at the county level, especially a lot of the transportation money is being used for different projects. Uh, and at some point in the near future, like if the SAP can provide an update on uh, the cap the status of the capital improvement projects uh, and the different sources of funding they're using and the current status of those projects, I would appreciate that. And I really want to thank you for providing the pipeline of the different items that we could see coming down uh, in the next few months uh, for both the Planning Commission and the Board of Zoning Adjustments. And this is very helpful. Thank you. Mr. Mendoza. Uh, yes, I, I want to follow up on uh, my uh, preferred topic, which is the the empty retail spaces at uh, mixed-use facilities. So I did some research, and uh, actually uh, I wanted to bring some something to share with the rest of the board, but I'll do that next time. Um, so what I, what I find out is that uh, this is actually a problem that's uh, nationwide. It's happening in a lot of communities. And uh, I think I found like uh, four reasons. It's like uh, uh, these large developers, when they build the mixed-use uh, spaces, uh, the actual retail spaces, they, they're making too big because they're, they're, ho they're hoping to attract bigger chains like an Apple store or something like that. And they're not really, uh, in, they're not really into uh, thinking about creating spaces for local small businesses. And uh, uh, because actually they're making the money from, from the housing. So for them, it's not something, it's not a priority. So um, also another thing that I saw is that they, are, uh, they don't want to get involved in creating uh, separate spaces because um, uh, they don't want to get into, you know, setting utilities for each different space. So they, you know, they create a big, you know, space that is not affordable by local you know, businesses, it stays empty. And uh, it's, it's actually a, a problem that's happening uh, not only locally, but uh, you know, many, many communities around the, around the country. So uh, maybe next time I'm going to bring some, some more information, but it's actually uh, an issue and uh, that's affecting uh, many communities. Mr. Bolt? Yes, thank you. And I just want to say thank you. Um, you know, Commissioner Solis remembers the emails we used to get with the planning coming up. This is so much better. It was so hard before to figure out how, I mean, it was, and I know you guys are under a lot and you were figuring it out and it was the best that it was, but this knocks it out of the park. So I can't wait till we ask for something else and you guys just kill that again. So thank you. The nine is young. Uh, Rob Rich. Uh, yeah, thanks. I, I just wanted to uh, share uh, in to touch on uh, Commissioner Mendoza's uh, comments that there is a there's a local nonprofit hasn't been around that long here, um, and it is called the Community Arts Stabilization Trust or CAST, and they are they are working on on a, in project by project basis. Uh, on adding arts into some of these uh, ground floor mixed use developments so that there's in our 
our general plan, we talk about it. A lot of different kind of things can go in these mixed-use developments. We really think of retail, retail almost uh, singularly, but uh, the ability to put arts or community spaces, or there's a lot of option. But you're absolutely right. There's There's been this, this trend in doing mixed-use, and I support it, but the practice hasn't always caught up with the theory on it. Community Arts Stabilization Trust. There's a guy, uh, Joshua Simon, who used to be at a Bald Sea East Bay Asian something development corporation. Um, since, since we're sharing, I recently was um, able to hear a talk by, I believe he was the director of planning for the city of Seattle. And they had a very interesting competition, an open competition for ADU designs. And so what they did was they said, hey, you know, show us what you got to the community. And they actually, I think, selected four, five or six eight different ADU designs um, that live and it was called the cottage design or something. And it, they live within the city. So these designs can be hand off to community members who want to build ADUs in their backyard. So, you know, or on their property. And I, I thought it was a brilliant um, thing to do in the community because the cost of design fees, I mean, I'm going to put myself out of business by saying this, but but literally, I mean, that's a, such a benefit to the community, right? Um, so I just wanted to, you know, um, just say that and, and share that information. Um, and so thank you so much for this, the development activity map. This is wonderful. Um, thanks for putting it together. It does not provide exactly the information that I was looking for. Um, it provides information and that's great. I think one thing that could help us was to to have the date to which the property has been was entitled and permitted, has it been permitted? Which I think you know the the big sore spot for me is going to be thirteen eighty eight Bancroft Avenue, um, and um, so the date that it was entitled or and permitted, they have actually broken ground and they started demolition, they stopped. And the entire property, they, they kicked all their tenants out, by the way. They started demo, and the entire property is surrounded by a cyclone fence. As a homeowner, I am not allowed to put a cyclone fence on my property. In the city of San Leandro, it is not allowed. But these guys can come in and cover an entire parcel across a middle school um, in a cyclone fence. It is an eyesore. It is just welcoming trouble. And those are our children who are going to school across the street. So I would really like, by the time we meet again, to understand the status. It would be great if someone could call. Uh, oh, who's this person? Silva, Thomas Silva. I think we deserve to understand why the project has stopped. So that's it for me. Thanks.
uh, real quick, sorry. What what if also we had on there? I know, like, here we go. We'll pile on. Um, most of them we remember if we gave them a, you know, CUP. If there was a column that said, yeah, they applied and they were approved compared to, you know, all the others that, I, I think it's kind of important to understand that too. Like, so there's so many more projects that go through the city and get approved without coming to see us. So knowing which ones actually did it, instead of uh, through memory, having a column that says that. And, and I, I'm pretty sure that you could go to the PLN number and research that on our website too. But I know you guys want to say that to me right now, but hey, <laughs> if it was column there, I wouldn't have to. Somebody needs to fix this. Uh... Do we have any staff updates? We do. First of all, um, I wanted to thank our planning manager, Waylon Lee, for compiling the information distributed to you tonight. 100% um, Waylon can't take credit for, for this improvement over what you were previously receiving. I know I shared with you when I was juggling two roles, I just came clean and said, you know what, just cannot, some things had to get cut from my to-do list. And that was one of them. So I really appreciate Waylon taking this on and this will be an, a regular update. Um, now that we've gotten your input on the format, we'll go ahead and make some tweaks to it and then post it to the website. And um, Waylon, do you think we could go ahead and every time we give the, the commissioners an update, we can post that update to the website as well? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And then we do have it in our budget eventually to work on a more interactive map. Um, so you could click on, you know, things, but in the meantime, we'll, we'll uh, make some adjustments. And I would say by next week, we can have this, you know, this kind of static version posted to the website. Um, and then eventually the plan is to have a much more interactive map. And um, that's just going to take some time. There's a lot of other priority projects right now. So we appreciate your feedback. Wayland has been... I'm um, really great at working on on these types of projects. And just in general, I think it shows kind of the um, improvements that are being made in the division. The planning division is um, Wayland's bringing a lot of great structure and um, just working really well with our team. You got to see two of our team members here tonight. So we're excited to to share this with you. Um, I did have a few other updates. So um, one thing that I, I know you mentioned some, not all projects come to you. Um, the 1345 Doolittle project was mentioned a few times tonight. Um, the marketing person for tonight's project was saying they were also working for 1345 Doolittle. That is a Prologis project. It did not come to the BZA because they in, they basically used an existing building and are doing some really new technology um, in construction to increase the height of an existing building and reuse much of the existing structure versus tearing it down and rebuilding it from scratch. And they are going for lead platinum designation. It would be the second industrial building in the entire country to receive lead platinum. So they're employing a lot of really exciting um, new technologies, um, carbon sequestration. They're doing all sorts of cool things. And so if that um, you know, it's under construction now. And I think that would just be a really exciting addition to San Leandro's building stock. Um, we are working very closely. Wayland and myself are meeting with 
some of our developers who who own large building stock in San Leandro, like Prologis, and just staying in touch and understanding how we can help facilitate um, those projects that are both under construction, under review, and we've had our our colleagues from engineering and building there too. And so trying to offer um, you know a really high level of service. And to Commissioner Rich's point about reputation, you know, reputation does really matter, and having a premier development services team is really important to the city's reputation. So. Very happy to have um, Wigland as part of our, our team. And I also, there are several updates for items that have come to the commission. Um, the vehicle miles traveled recommendation that you all made for the general plan amendment, that's going to council at their next meeting on the 5th, right, February 5th, for a public hearing at the city council. And then um, there, at the next council meeting, February 20th, I think there are two items that will be of interest to the commission. Um, they're not items that come to you, but they're ones that go straight to council that I think you would be interested in. Um, the first is that we're hoping to award the uh, scope of, well, so essentially we're hoping to award the contract. We received a $1.8 million priority development area grant from MTC for uh, the next phase of planning for Bayfair, which we're calling a development plan and specific plan amendment. And we've we've selected a consultant team through a competitive process and would like to award the contract at that February 20th council meeting. Um, at that meeting, I'll be giving a brief update for the city council on the Bayfair planning efforts that are underway. And you all probably heard in the news that Macy's is closing. And I just wanted to share with you, there's a lot of really exciting progress inside the mall. I was out there on Friday of last week and Monday this week. Um, I was out there with the mayor and one of our other council members this week. There's a lot happening. It's very exciting. They are converting the interior of the mall to research and development campus, similar to their project at Gate 510. And with Macy's closing, although it's unfortunate to lose a retailer for the community, it was anticipated that there would be an evolution in retail here in San Leandro, which is why we started planning for Bayfair to pivot and be something else. And so Macy's closing, it basically accelerates phase two of the employment center. So that's um, the idea being that there is a substantial up to 500,000 square feet in the back half of the mall that is very well suited towards advanced research and technology um, research and development uses. And they have two new tenants that are that are leased right now. We just got building permits submitted for the second R&D tenant. And we're looking at having them, they're looking to construct two additional um, spaces on, on spec for those tenants. They're having a lot of interest. So at a time where, you know, the markets are really shifting and offices declined and retails, you know, declining, I think it's, it's really exciting to have this opportunity here. So I just wanted to share that um, framing because sometimes, you know, the media, it's like focused on, you know, the mall dying, but I've been inside it recently and there's a lot of exciting progress that's occurring. Um, the other item that we are taking to council on February 20th is a recommendation on filing an application with HCD on the pro housing designation to Commissioner Rich's um, point. Um, they have just recently released some new re uh, revisions to that program. So just working with a consultant to make sure we understand those. But um, this is this is an exciting step for San Leandro. Um, I also wanted to share that on the production feedback, Wayland has put together a summary of our fifth cycle production um, that we will also post online and can share. And yes, the, uh, Commissioner Rich is completely correct that 
you know, we, we did not satisfy any of our arena categories in the fifth cycle. And that's why we're doing so many things now. Um, and with the housing element to increase density, we're studying impact fees right now. Um, we are continuing to work on our zoning code and, and make opportunities for streamlining. Um, and then uh, we were able to just look at our production numbers as they rank with other Bay Area communities. And we are um, in the top 10 cities in the entire Bay Area for affordable housing production in terms of units. So that's some of the data that we look at. Um, and even though we're behind on the arena, we are still leading you know, in the Bay Area for affordable housing production. And then I also wanted to share, I have so many updates tonight. Um, I wanted to share with you all that we do have one item scheduled for the March meeting so that, you know, we do plan to hold that meeting. And then the last update is, um, I know I've heard from several of you, um, and just several members of the community concerns about the state of the shoreline area and what's going on. And, um, there's been, you know, a real struggle with, you know, deferred maintenance because there was a planned project that, you know, has, we, we, picked our master developer in 2008. So a, long, a lot of time has passed. Um, we were very actively working with the developer of the shoreline on permits. They're really excited to break ground and just try to move forward. In the meantime, the city has had to invest resources on cleaning up our, our piece of it. So um, there have been fires, there have been you know many safety situations out there. And so um, there's been a very concerted effort recently to clean that area up and um, work with you know people on the boats that weren't there legally, um, working with our human services team, um, sort of like an encampment on water, right? And brought a lot of different departments into that conversation. We also are working with regional agencies, BCDC, and we have to actually get permission from them to do demolition, even of burned structures. So there's a lot of red tape in terms of getting approvals to take down buildings because they have jurisdiction over that 100-foot shoreline area. Um, but all of the different departments are working together in a very coordinated effort. And we're starting to see, um, you know, the fruits of those labors. So I did want to give you that update as well. Um, I think that's it. Wayland, did you want to, sorry, do you want to add anything about the materials you prepared. Which is that, that it was our intent to um, update those documents regularly and make them available to both the commission and to the public. And part of the reason why we brought it to the, to the meeting today was to get feedback. So we're, we're glad to hear the ideas about how to um, improve it moving forward. That's it. And can you talk about this last one? Oh, that's right. Um, you'll, the commission may recall back in November, uh, Commissioner Tabjulu mentioned his experience going to the, the homeowners, uh, earthquake strengthening course, which was held by our building, building division. And so our chief building official, I wanted to make sure that you were all notified of the upcoming workshop in March. Sorry, if I could, yeah, just, um, with the document itself, you mentioned that it's available and on, on the website. Uh, if I'm going to the landing page, sanleandro.org, does it navigate me? Is it intuitive to get to this document if I'm a resident? It's not online yet. We'll put it online by next week and um, we'll figure out a good location for it. I would say it would be for a resident. Um, they'll be able to find it on the planning division page. So we'll make it obvious from that planning division 
And you can get there, I believe, sandlander.org slash planning. Um, I think we've created that shortcut. And if we didn't, we will. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. thank you. Okay. Good question. And then, um, sorry, just it, it came to mind when you were giving an update about Bayfair. Um, I noticed that there's been temporary fencing and site screen fabric that's put, uh, that's, uh, put in place in front of the Nimitz Hotel for the Navigation Center. Can, yes. can you speak to kind of where things are at with the Navigation Center in that process since it's yeah. not on the sheet? Yeah, so um, we were very lucky to get our, our requested funding from the state, from our home key. So the project is moving forward. And it's in the process of being readied for operations as a navigation center. Um, so, you know, with the motel closing, we've seen all of our businesses, when there's a vacant site, it can attract, um, I think, how did you put it, Chair Zebra? But it attracts nothing good. So mm -hmm. we are um, securing the site and um, construction will, if it hasn't already begun, there's minimal construction to get it prepared. Um, and I think the... Gosh, I don't know if I have the, the start date. I'm I'm concerned, but it's I believe by the end of this year we're looking to be under operations. Um, so very exciting to get to get our grant funding. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I've I've brought this up before, and it's somewhat in the vein of what uh, Chair Zuber was mentioning with um, kind of the barricades in place in certain areas, and it being an eyesore. Um, so I'm going back to the greenhouse market and the commercial standards at one point that were going to be yes. discussed and adopted and brought to the commission for review yes. as it pertains to how can we go about holding these property managers more accountable for taking care of the premises and making sure that we're not dealing with blight and eyesores uh, specifically at the greenhouse market. We do have children from Arroyo high school, children from uh, nearing middle schools that pass through that daily. And to see it in that state, it, it just doesn't really speak to the heart of, what I think San Leandro is and what it could be. Yep. So we are working with our consultant and we have a draft that staff is reviewing. Um, we'll be performing some community outreach ahead of bringing the recommended zoning code revisions to the planning commission for your recommendation to city council. So it's still in process. Um, I don't want to say a date yet, but I think we're kind of ramping up over the next few months. I can expect us to be writing a draft for you know, kind of bringing it forward to hearing. Um, the, I, I think it's a delicate situation as part of those amendments, we are looking at relaxing our fencing standards for businesses, um, especially in the industrial area that um, need to secure their properties. And so there's going to be kind of a delicate balance between giving businesses the tools they need to secure their property right now um, and the visual effect of having more fencing around town. So um, there, we will be making a recommendation based on our work with business community because of the importance of our tax base and what the industrial community brings to San Leandro's revenue and our ability to continue to function as a city. You know, we may be recommending the sacrifice of some aesthetic standards in order to keep our businesses secure. And so where we have areas that are very pedestrian oriented, like our downtowns, our mixed use districts, you know, it is not our sense that we want to see imposing fencing right at the sidewalk for more pedestrian oriented areas. So we're going to, we're going to strive to seek a balance, um, in, in all of that. And, um, we are continuing our enforcement efforts, 
Um, it's one thing I'll just note that I've asked um, our city attorney recently, you know, it's a, when can the city go in and abate a problem on a private property, get a warrant from a judge to take action. And the city attorney has advised me that there has to be um, a life safety or safety risk associated for the city to ju be justified to kind of take over. And so for some of those aesthetic concerns, it's a little trickier for us to have that leverage. Um, so those are some of the, the balancing acts that we're striving for right now, but it's a very um, hot topic in our department and we are working on various resolutions. So thank you for we're bringing it up, um, you know, and I can say that we are very actively enforcing the property that you're um, asking about over $10,000 of citations um, to date. So we're, we're out there very frequently working towards a resolution. Okay. Yeah. Look forward to uh, the information forthcoming and the discussion to be had, um, understood uh, the downtown um, being more so top of mind, but also, you know, would, would lobby that that corner where Goodwill formerly was is a heavily traveled pedestrian footprint area, kind of in need of the same type of aesthetics uh, mindset uh, to be provided for that corner as well. So uh, look forward to that discussion. I think it's it's definitely one that, um, not to say is overdue, but one that has been kind of building momentum to get to this point and would love to just kind of have that discussion and move forward in, in some form or fashion. Great. And we'll also be, uh, sorry, <laughs> longest update, but we, we would also love to get, um, you know, the community's input. And so, um, you know, offline, if you all think there are community groups that would like to be part of that conversation ahead of the public hearing process, please feel free to send me and Wayland um, the contact information for various groups that are, that are really thinking about these topics so we can make sure to, to hear from, hear from them. Thank you. I just, I, I realized I put my foot in my mouth when I said how bad it used to be. And then you said you were the one that used to do it. So I feel bad no, about that. I didn't. I didn't. Oh. No, I said I was the one who just stopped doing it. It was oh, not me. Okay. I, I, I thought that was, All right. I laughed. Sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, uh, you, you said that they're, they're actually rebuilding the inside of Bayfair or, or portions of Bayfair for R&D. I was under the impression we were tearing that thing down. No. Oh, wow. That adaptive reuse. So it's really, um, what's, what's really exciting is that the construction type of the original parts of the mall from the fifties is such a high quality construction type. It's, huh. it's basically what, you know, defense companies or like, um, institutions would only spend the money on today. It's, it would be so expensive to build today. And so there's a real asset in that um, like bunker of a building and crazy waffle slab, concrete ceilings, like just it's very well constructed, um, the, the older 1950s parts. And so it's a really exciting project. I um, would love to be able to offer some tours for the commission and think through this grant that we've received and we're going to start work. We'll be having um, you know, a lot of discussions about what happens now outside the mall, you know, how much capacity is there for housing for other uses and where should the roads go and the crossing over to the BART station. And we're working 
um, with Alameda County, working with the BART. It's going to be very exciting. And I think there'll be a really um, key role for the commission in that process as well. So would like, I'd love to get you guys out there. Oh, I would love to go, but correct me if I'm wrong, but that must have really changed because I remember before when, when we thought about the Bayfair TOD, it was a, I mean, they were rebuilding everything all the way up to Lucky's or the old Prings. Is that still the idea or have we really walked that back? No, no. It's just the, um, the specific plan had a vision for allowing the private property owners to do a variety of things, not knowing how the phasing would work, not knowing what would happen first, what would happen with them all. Um, it was purchased in the summer of 2022 and it was purchased by the same owners of gate 510 who have a track record for doing retail and R and D within San Leandro. And so they came in with a new concept to make an employment center in the back half of the, the mall and that made it clear to us that that mall is not going anywhere overnight, right? So the vision for development remains the same, but it's going to have to incorporate the mall structure being there in the near term. Um, it's clear they're investing, you know, multi-millions of dollars into the building, which is a lot more sustainable in a lot of ways too than, than demolishing and starting over. Um, but the the plan to fill in the parking lots with buildings absolutely still is the plan. Um, and we're really excited to have roughly $2 million in grant funds to do that next phase of planning. And that that plan would definitely be coming before before your body and going to council. It's about a two-year process. So very excited. Our team's going to be working on that um, starting very soon. Okay. Thank you. Perfect. I like it. Yeah, uh, one one last comment on the uh, uh, empty commercial uh, uh, retail uh, and blight. Um, I think I mentioned this before that one of the issues is a mismatch of incentives. Uh, uh, it looks like a lot of these um, pro commercial property owners they get a lot of um, tax uh, incentives to actually have these buildings, you know, empty. Uh, like, for example, there are some communities that they, they, they found that this is happening and uh, there have been some developers that are thinking, you know, in a different way. So they're actually working with the community and making these spaces available to small, uh, like, you know, like uh, which, uh, what we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, you know pop-ups or, you know, local businesses, uh, you know, 400, 500 feet, uh, square feet spaces. And... Um, uh, that's not really hard to do, you know, but the incentives for these guys um, from the research that I've been doing is that they actually get a tax, you know, uh, incentives. They get money back. So many of them are large enterprises. So they have a lot of property out there and they're making a lot of money. So they don't really care about having these places, you know, empty and blight and, and only homeless, you know, breaking in because they're having incentives. So actually they don't have uh, that, because they're large enterprises, oftentimes they don't have the, um, you know, the local community, you know, I'm a member of the community, I'm gonna make sure that this doesn't happen. So that's a problem. That's what is the, is the mismatch of incentives. From the research that I've been doing. One more thing, when is the next meeting in March? Because I'm going to see my mom in Tampa, so I might not be able to be here. <laughs> I'm going with you. <laughs> 
seven. Oh yeah, so I'm gonna have to have an excuse uh, absence because I'm going to Tampa to see my mom. I just had questions. You were talking about the uh, update on the shoreline and the fires and the kind of um, mitigations that the city had to use resources for, as far as fires and litter things like that. Is there any talk with, is there any discussion with the developer about maybe recovering some of that, some of the funds that were used? It's the, the specific areas are clearly within the city's responsibility. So they're, um, they're the area planned for the city park, um, the old Harbor master's office and various structures that are our responsibility in our agreements to clean up ahead of the public private partnership. So thank you. Good, good question. Um, but these, these are, these are our obligation that we're, we're working through. Um, also you're talking about Bayfair and how they're kind of using the building. Yeah. Like, um, Dylan was saying, I was kind of under, the but, um, you were talking about so well built. It's like, why not continue to utilize the structure and just fix it up? Are there going to be facade improvements? There, yeah, minimally, um, a lot of these improvements are occurring within, within the building. Um, but there are some, some facade improvements occurring, yes, um, like new glass entry um, at the back, really trying to make a name as an employment center and make it an attractive place for employees to come. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking it's kind of a more modern look. Of like yes. Ex yes, that's the goal for sure. The bar we talked about an Irish bar, but it looks like an old talk. <laughs> um... Yeah, i I would encourage um, I would encourage you to reach out if you'd like to schedule a tour. Um, the owners have been very open with with bringing folks through. Um, so if you are interested, let me know. And yes, reach out to me if you're interested, and I'll start putting that together because it's it's really um, I think you have to see it to believe it. Yeah. Um, also, do you think re the repurpose of the building maybe has to do with um, not really wanting to deal with maybe the toxic materials that were used in the city? No, I think this the the when the property was sold, the group who purchased it have a track record of doing very successful adaptive reuse projects. They buy old, strange buildings and they turn them into something. Um, that has a lot of jobs and really creates new life. So that's their whole model. They don't, they don't do ground up development. Um, they own some properties in old Oakland. They've done work in Oakland and other areas where, you know, really turning something people look at and think, why wouldn't you tear that down? And then creating something really impressive um, with lots of, I mean, one of the things that's so exciting about research and development is there's so much outside investment in those companies that that's being brought into the community and when you go to Gate 510, you see what they're doing there. It's very exciting. Um, and those companies then, you know, are looking to grow. And, you know, you all saw Kuberg, their um, battery technology. They were, you know, one of those companies, one of those tenants of the same ownership group. And 
So it's it's been a very exciting time for San Leandro for um, businesses and investors to see this community as more than a collection of warehouse buildings, right? So we have new modern warehousing like you approved tonight, but then there's also a lot more intensive, job intensive that helps us from so many different angles and brings good jobs to the community. So we're very excited about this turn of events and also are excited about the development opportunity outside the mall. A lot of exciting things happening. Yeah, I mean, we still have a saying for the facade improvements. This is a pretty prominent piece of property city. And I think now is our time to really make it pop so that the property not only stays in the mall, but we still get to see yeah. whatever we can do to protect the Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad we got to provide some more updates tonight. There's been a lot happening, and I I'm realizing we don't always have the time to explain what we're all working on. So thanks for indulging a longer than normal staff update. Good to share. So one more thing. I just looked in my calendar when I was planning this. Is there something for the week of our meeting? Um, yes. Yeah, so we had um, we had reached out about interest. And so we have two commissioners that are going this spring to the academy. Um, commissioners Rich and Tabjulu had coordinated with us, so they're going to the conf or conference. Um, Isn't it during? That is a good point. I don't think I realized that. Oh, goodness. Thank you for mentioning that. Is there an option for remotely, or can we defer the yeah, we will, I'll, um, I'll talk to planning manager Lee, we'll figure out, um, you know, if there would be a disruption, if we, perhaps if folks are available the following week, we could always um, shift the meeting date if, and, and as long as we have time to talk to our applicant about that. It would be great to get everyone that we can here for that meeting. Uh-oh. Actually, <laughs> now that I'm saying it. Okay, well, I'll ask Lucy to um, separately coordinate with the commissioners on availability and ensure we'll have a quorum for the meeting. We'll figure it out. Thank you for mentioning that. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll um we'll balance the needs to you know have our business items heard, but we'll make sure um we'll, we'll discuss. I'm not. I've, I'm 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 getting tired. Yes, I mean we'll. Yeah. I think it, if you're at the uh, planning commission academy, I'm sure it qualifies as an excuse. Yeah, absence and and so wedding. And it does, I can't remember the policy. It just gets brought to the council, right? So even if it was, we bring it to the council, we say, you missed it for a good reason, and like, wouldn't do anything. It re really, that policy is not designed for this commission that has high attendance. Uh, it's for some of the city's other boards and commissions that uh, it's hard to get the members to go to. Which ones else?
the policy is um i can't remember it spells out the excused absence but there's a policy of like i believe it's three straight meetings or a certain percentage in the year um that it would be forwarded to the council automatically You can certainly update and do that in the future. I don't think it, any of you were close to meeting it last week. So, uh, we, we were noted um, by the city clerk as one of the better attended like commissions, and she also is updating some boards and commissions, and she was saying the planning commission is the highest commission right below council. So that was, uh, <laughs> you're in good standing. <laughs> Thank you. An employment center is shorthand for like a, a job center, a place that has a lot of job density. So jobs per you know, square foot or whatnot is higher. So versus um, lots of businesses that have a high number of employees, which is very desirable for the city to have good jobs. Okay. And so when we have a large, um, you know, 70,000 square foot warehouse with a bunch of stock and maybe two employees driving forklifts, that would be the opposite so of an employment center. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Research and development labs, yeah. people, labs. yes. yes. Yeah. Well, our work Lots of employees. Okay. Not a place to go look for when job. you're out of work. Yes, yeah. because that's what I was thinking. That <laughs> I'm we're sorry. Building a half a million square foot. <laughs> employment center, so. Thank you. I will use different language no, to describe a, that. Okay. No. Thank you. Okay. Um, it is now. 9.55 and the meeting is adjourned. Thank you. <laughs>